the greatest hope against the threat of nuclear war is Superman. The greatest threat to Superman is Lex Luthor. Is that adorable? Superman 4, The Quest for Peace. Rated PG. Starts Friday, July 24th. It's another late evening. We always start these the same way. It's always some version that we that we know we're recording. We, we have to double check because several times there have been times we've recorded, we've recorded much of the show, entire podcast, <laughs> and realized we were not. Recording. We, it was just on pause. It was flashy, flashy, flashy. Uh, or yeah, we'll have to make sure we're speeding, we're rolling. We're speed. And then we have to check off the list. We mentioned that it's late. We mentioned it's late. And then we're tired. We're tired. We've pissed off our parents. <laughs> uh, we have some sort of weird story about uh, something. Um, and then we get into it at some point. Uh, so here we are again. Uh, the The winter's kind of dying down finally. The winter soldier. We've had a, uh, we had a very hard winter in the Northeast, the winter soldier. And I'll tell you, I'm going to give you some little inside baseball, which is funny, because I just relayed this story to Blake, where uh, about a month ago now, uh, I was at work, and I work in television news, and we had these big storms coming. So they get scared in my business, like, oh, if you can't make it to work, TV has to go on the news. So they'll put, put us up in hotel rooms to make sure that we can get to work the next day. And that's fun when you're, like, in your 20s or, you know, like, yo, you're going to go out and party all night long. And, you know, if you're looking for girls or guys, whatever you're into. But then it's like, when you're our age now, it's like, oh, I don't want to stay over it. You know <laughs> I what I mean? I want my own yeah, bed. I want to go home. You know? I want to shit in my own toilet. Yeah, <laughs> I want to be able to walk around naked. I want my, my bare feet to be able to touch the carpet and not worry about touching other people's bodily secretions. So they gave me a hotel room, and, and, they got, and I was working late anyway. So I get out at 11 o'clock at night. I'm, I'm a block away from Times Square. And, uh, and I'm, um, they got me a room in the Marriott Marquis in Times Square. I'm like, oh, this is okay. I've stayed there before. This is great. I go in there. The person giving me the room, uh, she likes me. She's like, I'm giving you the suite because you seem like a nice guy. I'm like, oh, that's nice. It's 11.45 at night. I get up there and I open it. I've got this corner suite in the Marriott Marquis, this big old hotel room. And I realize there's nothing more depressing than... You know, you're alone <laughs> in Times Square. <laughs> it's snowing out. You have this great view of Times Square. You're looking down. Nobody's out. And this is a room where you're like either supposed to having like drug fuel, alcohol binge parties or whatever, or you're supposed to be having lots of sex in or whatever the heck. And I'm just there by myself with my bags. You know, I'm like, oh, I'm gonna go see what's on TV. And it's just like, it's I'm either there, I'm like gonna kill myself, or I'm gonna kill a hooker. <laughs> it's like, well, you get that vibe, you know. I, I told you. <laughs> I know. I should have called you. you. I would have trudged out in the snow. I felt bad because it was a school night. Could have had a sleepover. I know. A bit of an odd. You would have slept on the ottoman, you know. But it, it was it was fun. But it's just like you get kind of gets depressing. You're like, oh, this is weird, you know. It can get scary in hotel rooms alone, you know. But I brought that up because we've had a very bad winter, and. um we had a lot of snow here and stuff like that, trees coming down and stuff. But now, finally, we're breaking out. The weather's getting a little nicer. Hopefully, by the time this posts, the weather's broken and it's very nice. Yes. And we're coming into the spring season. We're saying goodbye to the Winter Soldier. And we're coming into the <laughs> Infinity <laughs> Summer. <laughs> and uh, welcome to Saturday Night Movie Sleepovers. I'm Dion Baya. And I'm Jay Blake. And today, we're doing a movie. We want, we were thinking As to get usual. a little topical. Yeah, yeah, you might not have guessed it, but we're doing a movie. And uh, we thought we'd get topical this week because uh, next week 
there is a huge, huge, huge movie coming out. The next Avengers movie. Yeah, which is uh, Infinity War. And uh, that's bringing everybody together. And I think it's the culmination of all the movies they've been putting out since they did yeah. the uh, first Iron Man. been building up to this. To this thing. And um, it's uh, Avengers is... is, is not, it's not a Captain America centric movie, but it's everybody. But the the first Captain America movie, not the first, Cap- <laughs> arguably <laughs> no, or this, the, or the, you know, the, yeah. the of the new uh, Marvel Universe uh, Disney collaboration, blah blah blah, di- was called Captain America: The First Avenger. Right? Yes, which two thousand twelve, maybe in the year two thousand. <laughs> As we'll discuss briefly when we talk about a little bit of the history of Captain America, that he wasn't actually the first Avenger. <laughs> no, he wasn't. No, no. But um, so we were th- we we were always we're doing this week. We're doing the 1990 film Captain America. Captain America, <laughs> and it, much in the tradition of uh, Saturday Night Movie Sleepovers. Saturday Night Movie Sleepovers. We. The inaugural episode, the very first episode of this podcast, was The Punisher. Yes, which from 1989, and I we believe. Th- we thought that was a canon movie, but we were wrong. But we turned out to be wrong. Yeah, uh, and then not not no, when we d- recorded it, but when we were talking about it. Since then, we were saying, "Oh, that's canon," but we were wrong. But and then, then uh, we did that to sp- kick off this podcast. And then we did the pilot movie to the show, the 90s series, The Flash. Yeah, which was actually really good to the TV show. Yeah. And then at some point in the Thor was coming out second, yeah. Well, the, yeah. And then th- something to, in correlation to Thor, we did uh, the trial of the Incredible Hulk. No, uh, that was no, that was Daredevil. It was Daredevil? We did trial of the Incredible Hulk. Oh, the, okay. I'm the sorry. The Netflix series. Yeah, to so be mistaken with. There was also a Thor, t- uh, Hulk, Thor team. Yeah, t- no. So you're right. Movie. So yeah. So to 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 bust in the. The premiere of the Daredevil show season one on Netflix, we did The Trial of the Incredible Hulk, which had Daredevil and Kingpin show up in. Yeah. And uh, also, and we did the pilot of The Flash to correlate with the new fl- the CW Flash CW show. show the, the, yeah, uh, The Flash, which uh, that was, yeah, when that kicked off. Which I'm still watching. Yeah. And you know what? I, it's everybody's hardcore Marvel DC, and I haven't yet watched any of the DC uh, CW shows, but they all look, they all intrigue me. They all I look like they have great special effects. They have great budgets and stuff. I will say that I, I've i watched all of them. You watched Arrow, which was Green Arrow. You I watched gave it. up on Arrow like a season or two ago. Like just, what does that I, mean? I, How I was, many seasons were they in when I you gave know. up? I was a bunch because okay. that was the first one. Yeah. Uh, you know, not counting Smallville, which was back in the day, which might yeah. have also been CW. But um, in terms of this new... The new wave universe of, yeah, of yeah. Uh, I started with Arrow and I did Arrow for many years and you liked it. I mean, initially. I, w- I was way into it. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I loved it. And then now, when they did Green Lantern, that came out with Ryan Reynolds. That flopped, which I actually liked the movie. I, I liked the movie just fine. Yeah. I was like, what's what's what do you want when, when you make a Green Arrow movie? When you got the Ryan Reynolds, you know well, what you're for getting. For me, all you got to do is you have to have that moment where he fulfills his potential. Yeah. In the movie, and there's that movie. There's the there's that there's that movie, and I remember I saw the in movie, that movie theater, yeah. and I fucking I cried. <laughs> yeah, you know it's good when he realizes that he is the hero. Yeah, a Green Lantern. Uh, 
But, uh, so but since that movie flopped, they took off green off the title of Arrow. Yeah. They're like, so fuck it, we can't have it any... <laughs> no green. Yeah, no green, so they called it just Arrow. Uh, but I gave up on Arrow. I, got, I lost interest in Arrow a uh, season or two ago, and then... Flash uh, came out. Flash came out, and when Flash came out, I was really into Arrow, and I was like, it's okay, but it's no Arrow. But Fla- And I, I did Supergirl. I watched Supergirl. That looks good. And Supergirl was good for a while. Yeah. I'm not as... In, uh, and... Uh, uh, I the one the one I'm not doing is I haven't started Black Lightning yet, and, okay. but that's typical of all these shows except for maybe The Flash. I always get into them, I catch up. Okay, you know I, I you know I always I wait a season and then I binge the fuck in the first season is that, and then I'm into it because that's new. Is that the only? Is it, there's another one, right? And uh, League of Extraordinary Gentlemen Legends. <laughs> <laughs> What is the name of that? Legends of Tomorrow? Yeah. Uh, That's the team up of them. Yeah. That's like and the, I watched uh, that one. But the, I will say that of all the ones, even though I'm still watching most of them uh, on the regular, The Flash is the one that I'm most... Like, I'm actually into. Yeah. Like, okay. it's my story. Yeah. That, that's, <laughs> that's your shit right there. <laughs> you know, your, your stories. It's, uh, your telenovela. It, it fulfills an emotional uh, aspect of the storytelling that a lot of the other ones just aren't doing for me and to not keep talking about DC like every properties. time somebody's like run barry run a single tear <laughs> <down my face. laughs> that's the investment and it's the payoff it's not just you, you you've made an investment and they're paying I, it off i'll tell you what what works best about uh for me the flash that that's not working it's working on a level that to me the flash best represents like that childhood nostalgia of comics yeah you know, like that innocence of when you're a kid and you're opening up comic books for the first time and you just... Looking at those, are, those, those shitty co- three-color Yeah, you know, and you're spots. just absolutely falling in love yeah. with it. You know, there's that... The Flash captures that for me in a way that the other ones don't. So, uh... How are I, the budgets on the show? I mean, are they do they look like they're, like, all in... Do they look like they're in cities or do they look like they're on backlots like The Crow or The Punisher well, the uh, first, War Zone? the first season of... The first season of Supergirl was actually shot in California on the D- Warner Brothers lot. Yeah. And when I took the tour of the Warner Brothers lot a couple of, uh, I guess, 2016. Which you talk about, and we have a, a podcast about that. And we talk about I went know, and I got... Yeah, and a went, sidecast. And I went and I, you know, one of the things was I toured this one of the sets. Uh, so people can check that out because you talk all about that and it's fun. And uh, But now they shoot them all in, like, Vancouver. Oh, okay. Or whatever. Yeah. And it's funny to watch some of them, some of the episodes... You know, here's the second, you know, last week, last episode I brought off 21 Jump Street. There's the, <laughs> the second contractual <laughs> obligation for April. I re-signed, I re-signed my contract. There's funny because they shot 21 Jump Street in Vancouver. Yeah. Uh, and I'll see locations. Oh, you recognize When stuff. I'm watching The Flash, for instance. And I'll be like, oh, that's in this episode of 21 that's Jump Street. That's how good you know. <laughs> You know, like I know that location yeah. from Twenty One Jump Street, and which is that's un- where this happened. That's not com- uh, uncommon because they shot MacGyver up yeah. there, and they all in the eighties there was a tax write off. That was the, big, that was the yeah. big start of it. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, it, production values I would say are very good. For, yeah. for a network television, and show. that's hard because that's what I think, especially a superhero show, you have to sell. Yeah. Is to have the b- believable effects. That's what I think in the past, wh- which is now we're kind of turning the the boat back to this. Yeah, which where is it's like totally seventies, <laughs> and especially when you start off with the so to keep us going. So we did. So we did. Tra- but then we, Daredevil. We did Trial of Incredible Hulk. And then we did the nineteen ninety four. 
Uh, we did the the, the Fantastic, Fantastic Four, Four, the Roger Corman the unreleased Roger, Roger Corman. Corman movie to correlate, which with I some feel like would be a hell of a double feature with this movie. Yeah, <laughs> if we're recommending stuff, this would that would be with this is is a is because a, you know we, and also, we also determined that we didn't think that was half bad. No, no, totally, <laughs> and I. Remember, and I would say the same about this. It's I would too. Heavily flawed. No <laughs> argument. Yeah, we'll, <laughs> we're already giving you that. We're already putting that on the table. Okay, we're going into it knowing that. Yeah, you yeah, know, you know the, fact it's that the, fact, be... the fact that the Fantastic Four movie was made by Roger Corman and never got released—it's a tragedy. You know that. You know, going into it, yeah, that, that, you're that, expecting a certain level of, of schlock production value, B know. B movie. And I will say, uh, and, and you know. Look, we did Batman. Yeah. 1989's Batman, yep. which is, you know, probably like the pinnacle superhero yeah, movie. Like 90s. Yeah. 89 switch transition, but like it's set the tone for the, what we have now. It's the superhero movie yeah. of that generation, of yeah. that era. It's uh, like what Superman was 10 years before that. And Shortly after, we also did on our second reunion, uh, reunion episode, uh, anniversary episode. We did reunion. Rocketeer. We reunite every yeah. week. <laughs> but Rocketeer. Yeah. Disney. Fucking beautiful. Yeah. Goddamn. That was bad. I love that, that movie. That, that movie flopped. So we can't, we can't hold, unfortunately, sadly, we can't hold the Marvel movies of the late 80s and early 90s up to the standard that we held Warner Brothers' as Batman yeah. and then Disney's as Rocketeer. Yeah. It's just, it, there's it, there's two tiers here. Yeah. And we're, we love them both equally, I yeah. think. <laughs> for, for, for other reasons. <laughs> you know, like, I hadn't seen The Punisher since it was new release on video when we watched it for this show. Yeah. And, fucking loved it when we yeah. watched it. And for me... Because you remember it being like, you hear all this thing, it was bad, it was bad, there's no suit, yada yada, but then we watched it, we were both like, this movie's great! Yeah, <laughs> I remember being so upset when it came out back in the day because I was a Punisher fan and we talked about this on that episode. Uh, and then not liking it because for me it was like having Batman without his cowl or Batman without yeah. a symbol. You know, the, 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 His skull doesn't really show up except like on the knives. And... Thing we discovered his like makeup. Yeah, is is very yeah. His how they did it with the five o'clock shadow to make it look like a skull. Yeah, dark sh- dark bags under his eyes. So for stuff. years, I, you know, I never was really happy with the Thomas Jane version. I wasn't happy with the Ray Stevenson version. So I was excited now that the Daredevil ones come out and then they made their own series. But revisiting it for this podcast, it was great because there was a lot of stuff in it that was r- super cool. And then also you see like elements of, like Kill Bill, like the whole yeah, you know, yeah. and then the, the Yakuza, which was huge in the eighties. And that has a lot to do with this movie in a sense because it, just ca- it comes out the same year as this. So even though these were technically in production when Batman was near completion or came out, I wonder if Batman influenced or tried to influence this movie or Punisher intentionally or unintentionally. I'm sure they had to be, we're going to ride the Batman wave. Yeah, uh, superheroes. And then Dick Tracy comes out this year too, which we, uh, we covered on this podcast. We do Dick Tracy uh, at some point. We did then as we went forward. We we last year around this time we did Spider Man for Spider Man Homecoming. We yeah, did, we did the seventies Spider Man TV movie show. We did like the we did like the pilot, and then we did like the last episode. Yeah, we kind of bookended. The and series. then we talked about an episode or two in the cartoon. Yeah. Uh, so and then we even hit on too the gem of that episode was the Japanese stuff. 
Yeah. The Japanese version of the Spider-Man that they were going over there, which was batshit crazy. Because <laughs> we, 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 we took a deep dive into Spider-Man and film and television. Yeah, and... and, and, uh, and the Japanese... There was a Japanese series in the 70s of Spider-Man that is fucking crazy. Amazing, and it's and a precursor to all your Power Rangers and all that kind of stuff. It's all it's all there. Yeah. And it's like fantastic. if they were doing stuff... We, we, and we made that proclamation if, or declaration. If they were doing... If they had the level of production on the... the American 70s TV show that the Japanese, they crossed those two streams, <laughs> that thing would have been gold. Yeah, you know? Japanese show special. So yeah, so we've so we ha- we've covered, we, that's our, so getting back to our original premises, we've covered, this is what we do when these big movies come out, we try to slip in something that's like, oh, you remember this, or yeah. check this out. Well, I think it's also, you know, I think for many people of our generation, specifically you and I, comic books were a big deal, man. And... Uh, you know, I always loved them. You know, one thing we didn't even we we hinted we were we were gonna come we were gonna wrap around back to it in Spider Man and we never came back around. Which I was gonna talk about how I had a subscription to to like Web of Spider. Oh yeah, I had a subscription <laughs> like, to Punisher Warzone. Like yeah, you could subscribe and you'd get and they, them in the they mail. They come in the mail and it was it was really expensive and they come in a piece of we rip open the plastic and you read I that mean, son of a bitch. So I wonder if you could still do that today. All right, it's all because it's on your um. You know, I think apps. Yes, this the show was the genesis of the show was very much about Our, nos- uh, about nostalgia for podcast. Yeah, the, the, this podcast was very much rooted in the nostalgia of us loving movies growing up, and uh, both of us, but especially like you know, some of my fondest memories are watching movies with my friends, and many of them being at a sleepover. Equally as important to me in my youth was comic books. Yeah. You know, maybe even more so in some ways. Uh, So, and they all kind of came together where it's like, I can't tell you what started first, but I mean, I would get, there's a, there's a couple solid covers, which I guess now I've seen are kind of like classic issues, which are like, uh, of, um, Justice League and Spider-Man, or I'm sorry, Superman that I remember getting when I was little. And then when I got into comics, we all kind of got into comics the same time. Right before Batman came out, so like, yeah. it's like almost like it was intentionally done subconsciously by these companies where well, we're, I, we're getting into uh, comics in like the late '80s. Sure. So and that I we're also buying. had, you know, I had something that you didn't have, which was I had an older brother, so yeah. I inherited. Things, oh yeah, yeah. You know, so like, toys and clothes yeah, and like comics, games yeah. and and stuff. So there's stuff that just was there already. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like I didn't have to, I didn't have to want it. It was there. So yeah. We had like a Batman. My bat, my brother had a Batman and Robin raincoat, yeah. and we had like a Batman cardboard cutout thing that would hang, and it had joints at like the <laughs> you know, had the little, elbows and the, and the so wrists. It so like, moved it, it, kind of, it was on like a limp. Yeah, it was on that rope. <laughs> yeah, I get you. <laughs> you know, it was just cardboard paper. Uh, and it had those binder like, things you put like you when you do a report <laughs> with the hole punch. You put those things. It had that as the joint. Yeah, so it was just like this limp cardboard kind of. I'm making Excuse them. Me. Deanna knows exactly what I'm talking because I'm making the motion. Yeah, exactly. Visually. Like a marionette. <laughs> he looks like he's having a... So there was stuff like that, and we yeah. had like a and fantastic... Records. Some kind of Fantastic Four fa- game. Yeah. And we had like a Marvel game and uh, color forms. No, oh, color forms were huge. So very... It's Batman and Robin color forms. Those were probably mine, and Spider-Man became a huge love for me, and I talk 
a lot about uh, my early love of Spider-Man in our Spider-Man episode from last year. So, uh, and we're gonna and we talk a lot about the history of Marvel Comics in that issue too, uh, and we'll, we'll touch a little bit on that today. But because um, I think it, we kind of have to to set to kind of set the table, as we say. But uh, if you want a deeper, I think if you want a deeper dive into that kind of stuff, you should check out our Spider-Man episode. Yeah, um, and certainly the other ones too, where we. Like the Punisher, and because the, they, they all kind of interrelate. Yeah. But uh, even the Raiders of the Lost Ark, as we talk about, that's not a comic book per se, but yeah. it's like Rocketeer. But we go the, specific. The but we go specifically into like the history of Marvel. Yeah, inspired like the characters and and the years and stuff. And I guess we'll touch on that here. But for me, I guess where I'm going with this is that. Uh, there are a few things that make me happier on Saturday Night Movie Sleepovers is when we do a superhero movie. I know. Because it's really, it's crossing the streams, man. It's getting, but it's getting <laughs> it back to the, to the, to the formation and because the foundation it, of this. Because it's pillar. definitely like there's a certain kind of nostalgia that I have for them. Even though I didn't grow up watching the Fantastic Four movie. Yeah. I didn't or this gr- movie. I didn't grow up watching this movie. But there is a nostalgia for comic books that... Uh, when we do these kinds of movies on the show that we get, it's like, it's like that nostalgia muscle, that one muscle of nostalgia doesn't get flexed and exercised <laughs> until, until, until we, we do, do these kinds yeah. of shows. So I'm always very excited when we get to do a superhero movie. Um, and this is definitely, like I said, this was not a movie that I grew up with. Now, um, yeah, for me, the Punisher movie, Batman had come out huge, bees knees punisher comes out direct a video was disappointed and then i remember this movie coming out and i have no memory of it coming out i just remember it oh there's, there's a captain america yeah. movie i remember first seeing it on like a weekend saturday afternoon yeah on fox w fox 23 wxx channel 23 and i wonder if it's and catching it like towards the end or in the middle and be like what and same same with me i'm over my friend like, martin's house <laughs> yeah what the fudge <laughs> because this was pre-internet yeah so you don't have you don't know it's like we talked about in the gi joe the movie podcast if you didn't happen to get like that issue of cinema fantastique or starlog yeah where they highlighted that it was being made or if you didn't, one of the marvel <laughs> comics on the back page if, if you, you didn't happen to have that issue this would have flown right under the radar which it did because I wasn't growing up when I was growing up I was collecting Punisher uh, I was collecting Batman I was collecting Ralph Snart I was collecting Sleaze Brothers but I uh, I was collecting a lot of the Donald Duck and uh, Uncle Scrooge stuff but I never really went the off Wolverine or any other trades or publications graphic novels the Punisher guessed in but I never went for the big X-Men yeah. uh, you know uh, the, the big uh all these, all these big t- Avengers and stuff like that. I got the Infinity Gauntlet one through four. That was because everyone told me I had to get that, and I got that for the, what this Infinity Wars movie is coming out. I got the, I would get the one off. I, I collected Spider Man's Amazing Spider Man's for a yeah. little while. So when I saw this movie again, it was like a Saturday. I was over at my friend Martin's house. We caught the end of it, and it was them like we're like they're like in Italy on a at a villa, and we're like what. <laughs> I'm like, what's going on? And then all of a sudden, the like, yeah. This? And then Red Skull's like, like, how are you doing? Are you speaking Italian? I'm like, well, like, what the hell is this? I kept in America. I'm a camino, go back, go back, go back. You got America. You fool, you don't So it's like, I was like, what the hell is this? So our Italian impressions are legends. Legends of legend on this show. We've actually, people have requested us to start doing Irish impressions. I don't know why. And we did that one a couple weeks ago. But yeah, people get sick of our Italian impressions. But this movie, I 
I saw the back half of that, so it was like the last 15 minutes. I'm like, there was a Captain America movie? Yeah. Wow. And then that was it. I never had any urge to go seek it out because I wasn't a Captain America fan. Yeah, yeah. And then I don't know, even know, I worked at a video store growing up, um, and it was the same video store I used to frequent. And, and I feel like Tommy K's, the video store you know that I used to work at, was, I don't feel like there, were, there was blockbusters yet. Really. Yeah. You know what I mean? So like I, the only video store I would go to was the mom and pop video stores, you know? So I, I don't even remember going there. I remember seeing the Punisher movie there with that awesome Dolph Lundgren cover of like him holding the M60 or him yeah, on the motorcycle. And the, the Punisher in the font. Yeah, in the font, the fucking Punisher. The but I don't remember seeing them. like the Captain America that way. I do remember I used to go to this, this comic book shop called the Nostalgia Shop. Did, you, did I ever take you to the Nostalgia Shop? I don't know. Okay. I don't remember. It was. Um, if we ever went to it. This you is, may have. Th- this is getting in the weeds because only Blaze can know these places. But you, you think of. Remember where Acropolis Diner was? Uh-huh. I take you directly across the street. There's a plaza. There used to be just one house at the top of that plaza that maybe everybody else, you know, when they did urban renewal, they, they tore everybody's house down, but they kept this colonial house up. And then you, you drive into the plaza and you go down and there'd be like all these strip malls. This one house was a comic book store. So. When I was growing up, when I moved to Hamden, the suburb, my mom, they, that was where the Pathmark was, which was the grocery store. Mm-hmm. So it became regular. Where you used to rent movies? Exactly. We'd rent movies there as well. But yeah. what would happen is back in the day when your mom would go grocery shopping, she'd be in there for like 40 minutes. <laughs> you know, she's going to start on one <laughs> end and walk, work your way through. <laughs> so it became. You're getting a little too big for the car yeah, to sit in the car. <laughs> yeah, she never let me sit in the car. So, I mean, they, they, this was to the point where I think I've said this before where she'd have me latched on because I'd run away from the car. Yeah. So she'd have me hooked on and I'd run out and like <laughs> whiplash to the car. So it got to the point where I was old enough. I was like, hey, do you mind if I just go to the comic book store and I'll hang out and then when you're done. I'll keep looking out the back window of the comic book store. When you park in this, I could see, okay, I have to leave. You know, she'd be waiting there. So I would go into this comic book store, and that's where, you know, me and Martin, we'd we'd buy our comics and stuff. And and you think about it now, I would go in there, and it was just this smoke-filled place. Uh, And it was was all smoky, dingy. There's this guy called Mondo was his name. This dude Mondo looked to me like Jack Elam, the guy with the eye that does this. (laughs) You know? He was sweaty. He was was overweight, very much like the Simpsons character. You see? He had, like, black, always greasy hair. It was always dingy, and it was was one side of the house. He never went to the other side of the house when you walked in because it was unused. So it was like a realtor's office, but whatever. So you'd walk in. You'd take a right. You'd walk into there. It was only two rooms. He's behind the counter. Behind him are all these knickknacks of stuff that he's collected, and he was a big Lone Ranger fan. So there was always a TV, like this black and white, on in the background of some obscure Lone Ranger episode. And he'd have like three guys hanging out with him that were had like the, um, like the naval hats of like you know USS Cole or USS yeah, yeah. like you know whatever. They they'd be sitting there. The, the baseball caps. Yeah, baseball caps. Ranger. And my dad had a couple. You know, we had like the yeah. Kitty Hawk or whatever. So and, and they'd be sitting there and they'd be chain smoking around this ashtray, talking about like Lone Ranger and all that. And and then in the back he'd have stuff that's expensive hanging off things. And I sure, bet you yeah. he had this movie. You could probably buy for like you know a hundred dollars a copy of <laughs> yeah. you know Captain America there. But this guy was such like the definition of a fucking pedophile, a kitty fiddler. Yeah. He was yeah. like, su- I wouldn't be surprised if it was found out that he was like, like touching little boys and little girls, you know. But it was like, it was like this dingy place. So maybe allegedly, Mondo. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Mondo. <laughs> you know, if you're out there, the nostalgia shop in Hamden, Connecticut, still going, which I don't think it is, because it moved and then they, it ended up moving and they needed to knock the house down. So what they ended up doing was they, uh, they set the house on fire as a, as a, 
a fireman. Yeah, you know, oh, they, for like a training. Yeah, training exercise. things. That's how they took it down, uh, which I missed, which that would have been cool. So my point was that long-winded story is that's how seedy going to the comic book store was. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you, know, and, you know, we talked about in the last episode, our last episode, when we talked about Goonies being like left to our own devices yeah. and riding our bikes and stuff. You know, and I, I'm sure this has come up before on the show, but like my comic book store, when we moved to Albany, my mom worked in Troy, New York. Okay. Which was kind of like a, at the time, I don't know what it's like now kind of a run-down city. Yeah, you know? it, was, it, was it was one of those Rust Belt cities that was that kind of had its decline in the 50s, 60s, and 70s. And so it was a little shady, and she worked on, like, I don't know, third or fourth floor of this walk-up building. And they're, and what, 20 minutes from each other, like, say, Albany and Troy? Yeah, like, uh, yeah. yeah. It's like Bridgeport, New Haven, or something. Sure, like, yeah, 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 yeah. Maybe, maybe closer. Maybe separated by, like, the Hudson River or something. Yeah. Um, and... Uh, we would walk up. She would take me to work sometimes, especially in the summer. Yeah. You know, uh, so I wasn't just home by myself all day. And we would walk up, and we, she would never take the elevator because it was an old rickety elevator. She was afraid it would get stuck. And so we would walk up, and you'd sometimes see, like, homeless people sleep in the stairwell. And <laughs> we'd, like, step over them to, like, get up to the office. It was a legal newspaper, you know, so, like, a... A trade newspaper for lawyers and judges and stuff and she would sell advertising and I would sit like in the conference room and draw or yeah. read comic books there was no TV yeah. you know I would sit there with my sketchbook or I'd, or I'd bring some comics and I'd sit there and I'd something to eat like a snack <laughs> yeah <laughs> snack and a then drink. sometimes they had like a little little Mac back in the day like the one like the Mac was like one unit oh yeah the computer <laughs> the keyboard and the yeah. one piece of plastic and there was DOS and there was like a a like a version of Wheel of Fortune on there. Yeah. Like some, but it wasn't Wheel of Fortune. It was some, and I would just sit there and I'd play that. 2D with green and then graphics. And at some point my mom would be like, I would say, can I, like, can I get out? Like I would leave. And I, and this is like, like I said, a shady town. I'm probably like nine. Yeah. And I would walk down. If I walked down to one corner, there was a used bookstore. Yeah. And I would walk through there, and that's where I got a lot of uh, old Cinema Fantastic magazines yep. that uh, you know somebody had sold them. Uh, I would go through and buy like Star Trek novels and Star Wars books and stuff. You always knew where the sci-fi, <laughs> the movie, yeah, I still or the have, comedy I sections still are. Things that I bought from yeah. that bookstore. Yeah. And then if I walked down the other direction, like two or three blocks, this is when we first moved. When I first started going. And then you would walk downstairs, and there would be like a comic book store called Aqualonial Comics or Aqualonia, and it was just like one room, kind of dingy. And then at some point, that guy opened that store up right across the street from her office in like a storefront. Yeah. And then it got kind of nice. Yeah. But when we first started going, it was fucking sketchy as shit. And uh, my mom would, uh, and my mom would go there by herself because I, she, they would put things on hold for me. Oh, and so my mom, like once a week or once every two weeks, would go to Aquilonia Comics and get you. Yeah, because you had like a little. I had in his you had box, a little folder. Yeah, yeah, I had like, yeah, you had like I had a little tab, like a little cardboard, you know, tab in the box, and we'd like stuff. And then he would sometimes just like put in something, you know, be like he'd be like, I think he'd like this, and he was probably just trying to upsell my mom on comics. But he'd, you know. How how similar are our, we're, we're learning in this meta uh, exploration <laughs> I think all of, of us our have yeah because I, I mean the nostalgia shop where I was was really seedy and then when comics in the late eighties with the boom hit in the early nineties uh, 
you know, as it got more popular, he had a, a, a bigger demand. He had more stuff. I had a little folder there. Where he'd hold stuff for me. And this is the time where my dad's paying a hundred dollars for the Punisher number one. Yeah, the yeah. one through five miniseries of the Punisher were like fifty bucks a piece. The crossover with Punisher and Daredevil was like twenty five, thirty bucks. So like, I'm getting these things for Christmas. My parents are buying, you know, sure, shelving sure. out. My dad was good too because my dad. As I discussed in Goonies, my dad was very into the idea of me reading. So yeah. he didn't even care if it was a comic book. As Just, long as yeah. I was reading something. And so he used to take me to the comic book conventions and like the hotels. Well, that's awesome. Which was like very much in the vein of like when we used to when we went to the New Yorker one, the yeah. one at the New Yorker hotel. In um, New York City, yeah. You know, very very small. Uh, you go there and he would take me to copy we we would find comic shops and he would take me. And then he started to relive like his childhood and started buying he he was very into like these classic tales or classic stories once. Did you see comic ones, the reprints of the? Well, it was yeah, maybe, but it was like Man of the Iron Mask. Oh, you know, like yeah, classic yeah. literary yeah. novels. Yeah, EC had runs. Not a, they had horror, but they also had like Crime and Punishment. And they had like the classic. Yeah, they had uh, the, 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 and it would be like all these classical, yeah. classic like literature in comic book form. And his big story was that he had them all. Like he had all of them, and he loved them. And then his mom threw them out or gave them to the kid down the street yeah. <laughs> or something. So he had, he'd have like a binder full of them. And he was, there was like his prized possession and his and my grandmother threw them out or something. And so he started to kind of like relive his childhood and he, he would find them. And so at his house, there's like a collection of maybe 10 of them that he bought when I was a kid and he would take me to the comic book store. But so comic books, man, it's just, it was such a, I don't think, I, I, don't, I don't like to keep saying that kids wouldn't or people nowadays won't understand what we went through, but it's like, and then you know there was a there was a mall near us in the in two towns over so we go down there and that was that place was called a time tunnel and we go there and and uh, and so it's it's funny to hear all the names of these and then stores popped up everywhere because in the mid nineties when comic books were huge there was a comic book store up the block from me at that McDonald's where I used to live up the top there there mm-hmm. was a comic book store there and then that was when the guy gave us like fo- uh, like little like uh, nooks where he's like you know this is gonna be yours and every week I'll put the newest issue and then he was selling us that was around the time of the Superman Doomsday yeah yeah and as well as the Batman where Batman gets his back broke by Bane so this guy's like you need to buy this issue and this issue and this issue has a reference <laughs> to it this issue is you know so I have all them because of this yeah, guy yeah. you know you know they made thou- millions yeah, and millions of, of the, copies that are not worth any not worth the paper they're printed on six different covers of like the new X-Force or uh, you know the Batman's the black cover of the, yeah. with the bag and, and the white you, cover of his you bag you get like those Spider-Man ones that had like the, the hologram the cover. silver yeah the McFarlane hologram or sp- so like and then along with that it's like the seediness of growing up like you're saying like I remember being in New Haven when I was really little and my mom was a nurse and she was an, an ER nurse until I was born at Yale New Haven Hospital and then she got into the uh, nurse doing nursing home stuff working nights because my dad worked days so she did like and then she worked in a pool where she was like a freelancer so if somebody called out she the pool would put her in a different place so I remember being real little and we'd have to go to the agency to get her check and one time, and my mom is scared of heights, and we're downtown New Haven, and the woman throws at the third floor window, she throws the check out the window to, for my mom to catch, but it falls like on the first floor of like the, uh, the fire escape. Yeah. So my mom sends me up. So I'm like this six-year-old or five-year-old. It sounds so dodgy now, but yeah. at the time it's like, who, cares? Of a fire who knew? Escape. You know, but I'm going up a fire escape to get the check for my mom. And it's like, because it, back then it was like, you know, you should be belted in. But, you know, I remember crawling around the car. not oh, yeah, back seat. Belt. Back seat, you didn't have a, you know, my, my parents, when they got the minivan, we had, we had like a Chrysler minivans. 
in the back back me and my cousin used to play legos and play gi joes we'd be on the highway going to like an outlet store <laughs> and we'd be in the back like unseat belted yeah, in the, you know sit because on the floor yeah sitting the floor playing you know if they stop quick you're fucked but hey you know or the, the door opens you're ejected you know but it's like that was how it was back then you know we go out alone so it's like very much we're taking a left hand turn with this but sure, it's like yeah. we're a half hour in but that's so when this movie came out it's like came and went there's a certain thing which like when the new marvel movies came out and then, like, even when they made those first Fantastic Four movies, not the Corman movie, but, like, you know... The oh, when first, the 21st that, Century that Fox. That yeah, 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 yeah. of, you know, they had... They had you know, Blade came out and was successful, and yeah. then they made X-Men. That was a huge hit. So then they greenlit Spider-Man with Sam Raimi. The and then fucking floodgates opened. Yeah. You know, and, uh, and I just remember, and then when that came out, and then they made the Hulk movie yeah. with Eric Bana. Ang Lee. And then they did a Ghost Rider, and even when like uh, Silver Surfer, even when Iron Man came out and stuff, I was like, "This is all fine and dandy." But and also, I'm coming from it from like I had my characters, just like you had the Punisher. You're saying you collected certain issues. Yeah, you collected Spider Man. I collected Spider Man, and I did some X Men. I did, and it was Window Wolverine and stuff. But yeah. those were like my main things. And of course, I had Batman. Who didn't? Have and Batman? I had you a little had bit of everything, yeah. but but just definitely Batman because Batman the movie came out and was such a big deal. But in my head, I was like, does anybody give a fuck about Fantastic Four? Yeah. <laughs> you know, like know. when Iron Man came out, everybody's like, Iron Man. I was like, who the fuck read Iron Man? Yeah. <laughs> like, sure, I have like three Iron Man issues because you would sometimes go to the supermarket and there would be like a shrink wrapped like collection of like six comic books. Yeah, and you get that because <laughs> was, there's one in there that you want. <laughs> and it was like X-Force, all this stuff, and Cable. And, and you get like, like the first issue was always that there was that run of Marvel comic books where it was like a portrait. Yeah, of somebody, and then it would have the 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 border. It was all the had, characters that had all the characters yeah. along the border. Yeah, that's the mid like late eighties <laughs> Mar- Marvel. Yeah, and that was always that was always like the first issue. And then, then there'd it, be like five issues, and you would buy these things for like I don't know. My grandmother would buy. Yeah, would, but Nana, can I get it? please? <laughs> and we would get it. And so you'd there would be an Iron Man issue yeah. in there. So there was like there was all these Marvel when it was like Marvel branded. You know, was coming out with all these things. Like they didn't own the rights to any of the big characters. So I was like, "Who the hell gives a shit about Iron Man?" I mean, it turns out they, were, they look. They were great movies. They yeah. they're great movies. I love the first Iron Man movie, and they jumped Captain shot a America. Whole genre. Captain America was definitely one of those characters for me. And it turns out for me, probably soup to nuts. The 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 Iron the Captain America movies, in my opinion, are might be the strongest series the recent ones. of the recent ones yeah. uh you know one step back into nostalgia world only because last fall i think i went to the chiller festival chiller convention horror convention here in uh, the northeast in the new jersey area and i was walking through and somebody was selling it was a hard plastic captain america didn't move just maybe 10 inches tall hard plastic fixed position with a shield in front of him you know just in front of him and you could wind the shield and then click a a button on his back and his his shield would move and i saw that and i fucking had that thing as a kid and it was like it was a shitty toy because you couldn't do anything (laughs) yeah yeah but you would sit there and you'd wind the shield and then you'd flick the switch on the back and then the shield would just like spin like slowly and i was like oh man so like obviously as a kid, you knew who all the characters were, and maybe you had toys that were part of, you know, part of it. Both DC and Marvel had lines of toys 
when we were kids. Um, you know, DC had the ones you squeeze the legs and the the, heart, yeah. the arms would move. And I had definitely had like the Superman and the Batman of those. I mean, those were huge. And movies. then Marvel had like, I don't know if it was for Secret Wars. Or Super Friends. Or Infinity, Infinity Wars or whatever. Marvel had like, and I still have, I buy them now. I have both Spider-Man and black suited Spider-Man. Oh, that's Secret Wars. Spider- yeah, black suit. But uh, they had, you know, they had Captain America for that. And I remember they had a Wolverine in the brown suit. You told uh, by the time we hit the you have before the, the com- before the before X Men the animated series okay because I had a lot of that line when those yeah. came out like when we were like in fifth or I'm sixth talking grade about like mid to late 80s. okay yeah they had yeah they had like uh, like Captain America on his bike yeah you can wind up and shoot maybe like Evil Can Evil style uh, I remember very big DC in the move in the eighties you had the what is that the Justice League show. The halls of great halls of justice, you yeah, know. Meanwhile, yeah. Ted Knight at the Hall of Justice. You had yeah. that show, and then you had like Super, Super Friends. Friends and Spider Man and his Amazing Friends. So you had like, and then you had a couple of those one offs where like the whole the Hulk had his own show. The Hulk had his own show, but then X-Men there was had a pilot. There was an X Men pilot. Yep, that Stanley opened up, and, and then, then the, you had uh, and then Spider Man's Amazing Friends would often have like. And, and like an X-Men episode. Yeah, they'd have people guest on. Like yeah, the Hulk would show up. Or Captain America. Octo- Octo- Doctor Octopus, yeah. This was all like early. It, it is the 80s. 80s, yeah. they did In the 90s, they had a Spider-Man show that did that too and all that. So you had all those toys, and I forget who does the... Um, people would know better than me uh, who were doing the toys at the time. But it's funny because the toys, they were almost... It's almost like Mego. They had... They, since it wasn't really that big of a thing, you had Mego in the late 70s putting out DC in the same commercial. You could hear DC and Marvel, yeah, the same toy. And Star Trek. And Star... You know, yeah. Mego so, was great. So in the in the 80s, when you had whoever was putting out the toys, that's why I learned... We did like a sidecast a couple of years ago uh, on toys. And when Batman ends up coming out, uh, they don't have the rights to Jack Nicholson's likeness yet. So they have to re-put out the old... Joker. So that's why the if you if you bought the Batman toy of the Joker for Batman the movie, Batman looks great, but yeah. Joker look, has still has that long face like he's laughing, yeah, yeah. Ah, ha, ha, and he's and like he you has know the squeeze thing. Yeah, it shoots the flower, <laughs> and he comes with a hat that doesn't really fit any well, and he might come with a cane. I've heard, but, yeah. but that was why because they didn't have his likeness. So it's like you know they had the all these toys that came out, but so people knew they were on the peripheral. I always knew who Captain America was. Sure, I always yeah. knew, we had the se- the seventies. Spider-Man show, which I would see once in a blue moon that we talked about in that episode last year. So we'd see these people come out, and then then remember Bill Bixby, the the Bix doing the Hulk. That was huge. And then because because of that, because the success of the Hulk TV show, then you had the Spider-Man show got greenlit after TV movie. Yeah. Um, and then every once in a while in the late '90s, early 2000s, I'd be at my dad's house and like sci-fi before it was S Y F. Why it when it was actually like sci-fi channel? Hashtag roll my eyes. They would do like a weekend of these late seventies <clears throat> television movies. So yeah. you'd get you'd see like they'd play some Hulk episodes, then you'd see like the Spider-Man pilot episode, uh, two-parter. Yeah, uh, which was a TV movie that became a two-parter in syndication. They made two Captain America movies in seventy-nine. Yeah, it was Captain America, and the uh, second one was called uh, Captain America 2, Death Too Soon. No, those those are episodes or those... No, those, those were television movies. See, now I'm... And there was a Doctor Strange one I'm also. F- I'm fascinated to find those because I have varied a little 
recollection of those. I have an image of the Captain America when he's wearing like a bike helmet. Yeah, he wears a, a motorcycle, motorcycle helmet. helmet. Yeah, and he's he's maybe that's the reason why they had the toy of him on the bike. They, you know, they had to give him something to do aside from throwing a shield. Yeah, and then I don't have I have no memory of the Doctor Strange. Yeah, uh, the Doctor Strange one. And I wonder is it like Peter Cushing is Doctor Strange? Or, you know? <laughs> no, I don't. I can picture him in my head, but I can't place. It's who like some he British is. like stock actor. Uh, so then, because for me, Spider-Man was the biggest one of that back then. And then the Hulk, of course, was Well, huge. Spider-Man was very much... I mean, the show. Okay, so, uh, bef- you know, as we as we transition into the movie, so Captain America was created by Joe Simon and Jack Kirby. Yes. King Kirby. Yeah, the uh, king. If you're going to go, you know, we talked about last year, uh, last episode of, like, the Mount Rushmore of... Ch- kids on an adventure movies if you're going to do mount rushmore of comic book artists jack kirby would be on that would be on that mount <laughs> yeah he'd be one of the faces next to roosevelt uh jack kirby drew in a certain style that nobody else was drawing in he was uh he he was drawing he muscular but he had a very kinetic way of drawing with uh when you look at it now it seems very primitive but for the day it was very special and they were working at a place called Timely Comics, mm-hmm. which later becomes Marvel. Uh, when they when they're working there, when Captain America is invented in 1940, and we bring this up uh, a little bit in the Spider-Man episode, because I have a certain connection to the McGraw Hill Building, which is at 330 West 42nd Street because it is literally right across, right around the corner from where I live. And so I walk by this building and I'm always like, that's where Marvel was born. Like, <laughs> and then a tear goes on your eye. <laughs> you know, it was probably, they had moved out of there by the time Spider-Man was invented. But like, that's where Captain America, Submariner, the original Human Torch, like that's where these characters were born, was in this building. Yeah. And so uh, they're looking for, the, you know, superhero comics are becoming a thing. You got Superman comes out in the 30s, Batman. Dick Tracy. You know, big. Dick Tracy. Starting to do with the hero comics. And so there, Joe Simon is given, uh, you know, we need a superhero. He invents uh, the super American was the original kind of thought. He's like, everything's super. He got Superman, blah, blah, blah. So he comes, he says, that's a stupid name. And, but nobody's using the word captain. So, <laughs> And he's right, you know, until time. Captain Lou Albano comes out. <laughs> he's right. So he, he comes up with the idea for Captain America. He does a very rough sketch of what he might look like. He shows it to his editor. Which you can find online now, which is really cool. Like and uh, he gets the green light not to do, you know, not to do a detective comics. Like a Batman, you know, yeah. You know, like we're action comics or to do like amazing fantasies where super, where Batman where Spider-Man eventually in the 60s becomes he gets to do Captain America issue number 1. Yeah. So, uh to do a whole issue was a big feat and originally he was going to give it to these two younger uh artists because they could knock it out because they would tag team it and apparently were very good the two of them yeah, yeah, yeah who were very good at, and very good at uh, they were the two owls I can't owls A-L I can't remember their last names but uh, Kirby who was the go-to guy and was kind of the de facto art director was a little bummed that he wasn't going to get to do it so Al Alvison and Al Gabriel and but Kirby was a little upset and so Simon said okay Joe I, okay Jack uh, Joe Simon said okay Jack go for it and he turned out you know, Captain America Comics number one, which uh, was d- cover dated March 1941, but went on sale 
on December 20th, 1940. Yeah. Uh, And featured one of the iconic comic book covers of all time, if not like magazine covers all time, per surpassing, which was Captain America punching Hitler in the yeah. face. <laughs> and for, for everyone who doesn't know history out there, we get into the war and uh, we're bombed by uh, in Pearl Harbor in December 41, which is a yeah. full year. So like a year later. Before so this. This is before America is in World War II. Yeah, we, the war, uh, Hitler goes into to, to, to Poland, I think, in like in 39, declares war. Britain gets into the war. So there's a whole year, a year and a half, where they're fighting overseas. But we're very much isolationists because we don't want to get into the war because of what happened in World War One, And also, where we're getting to where Blake's going with this story is, here at the time, we had the Olympics in Berlin in 36. There's a big German population here. A lot of people are, and I'm not defending this, have German sympathies. They think Hitler's talking right. You know, he's talking some of the right yeah, things. There's an American Nazi party. Yeah, there's the Bund party, they call it. There's, there's there. We talked about before that the at the um, the Garden, they had a, they had a rally in 39. You have John uh, Henry Ford, who the automaker. He's a, he's a, a, a Nazi at the time. You have. Um, uh, what's his name? Uh, who flew around the world? Uh, Lindbergh is a big person, and, and it wasn't it wasn't wrong at the time because a lot of people didn't know the dark side of the anti-Semitism. Yeah. It was just what Hitler was saying that after they got so fucked after World War One, Germany with the League of Nations treaty and all that kind of the Treaty of Versailles, uh, that you know they they blamed it on the Europe and that was when they were getting back to like you know maybe there is something here but you had all the people like we talk about in the Mad Love cast that were leaving Germany like no you know city shitty shit going on but in the states there was this pretty big current of people supporting Hitler at the time like Blake said there was a a Nazi party the Bund party that was in America in Jersey and in Long Island they had Hitler youth camps so you can send your kid in the city there was very much so since we're not in the war yet and we don't know what's going on, there there is kind of like uproar, like, hey, you know, this guy, yeah. you know, so well, when they see this cover of, of Captain America punching out Hitler, yeah. people get pissed. There's an interesting thing going on in entertainment, pop culture of that time, in that you have these Jewish, American Jewish people uh, in the know. Well, and and you also on. have Jews coming from Europe yeah. since the early to but mid-30s like, telling is, everybody. I mean, this is around the same time that we get... Um, unfortunately, I, I didn't think to research it. I can't remember the title of it now, but there's a very famous Three Stooges sketch where <laughs> where it's they're not the Nazis, but uh, Moe's got the mustache. Oh, yeah, yeah. And that's pre that's before we're in the war. Yeah. So you got like these, these guys of Jewish descent speaking out about... You know... Yeah. Make it, you know, in the Three propaganda Stoog- films. Yeah, and yeah. in this, and in like the case of the Three Stooges, making fun of it, you know, poking fun in terms of trying to raise awareness, but also, uh, and this is prior to Snafu, uh, uh, all the the Warner yeah. war films, right? I mean, this but is we you know, have animated. Like, uh, when's uh, the, the what's Chaplin? the Jack Benny movie? Oh. Uh, to be or not to be. To be or not. That's yeah. before we get yeah. to the war as well. And that's also trying to. And that's that's this is ballsy. People are yeah. like, you know, what the hell? So there was this current undercurrent of like Hollywood entertainment, which was raising awareness at a time when we weren't really involved yet. Yeah. And so this. And we didn't want to be involved. Yeah. You know. And it wasn't until they. Japan bombed us. Bombed on our land that that, uh, we we got into the war. We were kind of, our hand was forced by that point. So, as Dan's saying, like, it was considered very, this 
Captain America Comics number one, the cover was considered very controversial because it was a comic book, kids' fair. Yeah. Taking a political, saying, having a political message, taking some kind of political stance. And so. And there were so many ethnics at the time in New York City. You had Italian neighborhoods, you had Jewish neighborhoods, you had German neighborhoods. So you were offending a good segment of the people. And not, we're not even saying if it's the right or wrong reasons. Yeah. People were like, what the fuck? And so there was this big, uh, like, uproar. And back in those days, they would have, like, if you want to write to Timely Comics, you know. They Here's have, the address. And there's yeah. a picture of the building. <laughs> you know? Here's how to get here on the so subway. So people started show the, this Ameri- the bun party and stuff. They started showing up and, like, boy, you know, with, like, signs and stuff and, and protesting outside of 330 42nd Street, West yeah. 42nd Street. And, uh, and so it was this really big deal, and yet they needed police protection. Was selling, yeah. Police would come to keep order. Mayor Laguardia had to call up, and he had to like give some, his support to Simon and Kirby at the time because they were getting like death threats. So that was huge. Mayor Laguardia and, calls, and and it was one of the main reasons why. Uh, <clears throat> this is one of the big contributing factors as to why Time and Comics then moved to the Empire State Building offices. <laughs> you know, in like forty one yeah. was to kind of. Get away from this. And because uh, at that time we get into the war and there was a big upcurrent, which we've talked about before, where but there was all through even before up until even before we leave the war, there is this uh, even before we enter the war, there is like Captain America is selling like hotcakes. Yeah. I mean, it's selling like a million issues. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, which is which is big sales. And, and they're worried at the time that. There's lead up to the war and then into the war, especially in the New York City area, they're worried about some sort of secret invasion. And there's actual documented cases where you had U-boats coming into New York Harbor. They were letting people off on the uh, edge of like Montauk, Long Island, these spies. And there's, there was this huge concern that these spies would get here and they would sabotage. And there's that, the Hitchcock movie Saboteur yeah. where it's all about that. And then there's a scene where on the west side in real life, a boat blew up and capsized and it was automatically blamed on Nazi spies. But it ended up not being, but it still fueled the propaganda like, sure. yeah, fuck it. This is, th- th- this is a real thing. And on the real thing, we talk about, not to get into it, but there's a, like, they were worried about Grand Central getting bombed. So the fear here was wh- what is stopping Nazi spies or sympathizers once the war starts to bomb, you know, as, as, as just a, 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 a smear campaign or just to make a political statement, blow up timely comics or whatever, yeah, you know, yeah. just to show. So this is why they get out of Dodge and they secretly move to Empire State Building because they don't want, yeah, the war is on now. This is fucking serious. But, uh, you know, Simon and Kirby, they they work on Captain America for like a basically full year until we get into the war and then they enlist. Yeah, as which, you were doing. Which a lot of, uh, you know, people in many industries did, including yeah. the comic book industry. Now, very, f- <clears throat> as I understand it, very few uh, comic book artists, comic book people like Joe Simon, they didn't really see com- combat or yeah. action or anything. But Kirby, who was very much the heart of Captain America, hated fucking bullies. Yeah, he said, "I, you know, put me like I want to, I want to be in it." So Kirby actually did see action, and it was something that uh, when he came back from war. You know, it's something that he dealt with for a long time. What compa- you know what capacity he was in? I know originally he was. So I, I believe initially he would go out and kind of like scope out and then come back and show them on maps where like Nazi tanks oh, okay. were. Yeah. But then shortly after that, uh, he actually did 
go in like he was like the second one of the second like people like after d-day oh the wave to get in yeah went in after that and apparently that did big push apparently did see a big a lot of action at the time yeah it's it's we talk we get people like in hollywood you have like frank kapler making war movies to help to, to educate to the uh, you know enlisted people but you have people like jimmy stewart who were hawks did too maybe yeah these propaganda films you, you know, know to like, help uh, almost like t- like tutorials or whatever but yeah. you have like guys like jimmy stewart who are actually flying missions like pilot in you know f- uh, flying fortresses uh, b-17s and stuff you have uh, you know slews of actors from lee marvin to ernie borgnine and all that like lee marvin seeing action in the pacific um but here a re- reason why i asked you is what capacity he was in because you had combat for uh combat combat cameramen who i uh, is a subject i find hugely fascinating and these guys weren't attached to a, partif- uh, a specific unit they had like a pass so they can go anywhere and these guys had films th- there was three levels you had a still t- photographer you had a cameraman and then believe it or not you had a sketch artist so you had these people who they used to say if you shot bullets you were brave but if you shot film you were crazy because one yeah. out of five cameramen would get killed because you gotta remember there's a firefight going on you're standing up to shoot you know you're gonna get <laughs> yeah, shot yeah. and you're not like a you know you're not like a, a medic where there maybe there's a chance that they wouldn't shoot you 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 there's chances are you'd be getting killed and then how about if you're the still artist I thought that's what I was gonna say Jack Kirby you're out there freaking like <laughs> sketching like a yeah, you're <laughs> like, sketch yeah. And, then you're, they, and they have that they have like it's like a it's like a, a courtroom sketch artist so it's insane and then a lot of people you're realizing now a PTSD in, in, in Vietnam and, and sadly it's taken this long but what people used to call shell shock you people realize when they come back from the war we talked about that with Charles Durning in the Night of the Scarecrow podcast where it's like this really fucked people up you know so, and they come back with a completely different you know uh, head on their shoulders from going to war but this was at the time was very you know it was it was kind of nice to have a, a patriotic themed superhero because it was uh, all going into force about America versus well, there was the, a the lot of axis that. of evil. I mean, you know, that, that's how like Wonder Woman became like Stars and Stripes. Yeah, you know, it was like there was a big push, uh, not just for people at home, but also for the troops. Yeah, patriotism. You patriotism, needed to keep the, keep you the know, morale up. Superhero Superman you know, became like the American way. Uh, you know, help hold. You yeah, know, keep every truth, keep, justice. You know, the, the V discs when you had Sinatra and them recording things and sending stuff over. They had a lot of propaganda songs they would sing, but there was a lot of it was it was a great campaign. Comic books were very popular yeah. overseas because that, not only. <clears throat> You know, not only was it superheroes fighting, in, in a lot of cases, Nazis, just like they were. But, but it's it a was, piece of Americana. It was a piece of Americana, and it was accessible to people of all reading levels. Yeah. You know, like, you didn't have to have, like, a really big education to be able to enjoy a comic, a comic book. Strip. Yeah, exactly. You you know, know, you're so, not reading Tom Sawyer or something. Yeah, so it know? was very much, uh, like reading fodder for the people yeah. you know for everyone it's like that with the music they would bo- broadcast the USO shows and stuff they do these tours and it was very much you brought Jack Benny up and then Bob Hope ended up doing it but they have these huge big USO shows they shows where they go on tour and it was and it would it successfully helped keep the soldiers morale up and keep when it was you know in, in the in, and it's a good thing at the time when they needed and, they needed and this. so Captain America was huge yeah him one like you said Wonder Woman who's S- who millions selling millions of issues yeah every time the new one comes out uh, now unfortunately for superheroes yeah. not unfortunate for the world <laughs> when the war ends there's a decline. It's There's like the de- sheriff. It's, it's like the Western where you want that sheriff in that bad town until the 
all the bad guys gone, then you don't need the sheriff anymore. So go away. You know, they don't need you. So uh, by 1950, they We're, decide to stop making Captain America comics. They discontinued Captain America in 1950. They tried to bring him back in 53 for a short-lived hating the commies. series. The commie smasher or whatever, yeah, yeah. you know. But unfortunately, like, the Cold War is not as exciting for a superhero as World War II well, was. Well, and, and this was happening not just with Captain America, oh, but, yeah, but with Batman. But and since every, we're talking yeah. about Captain America. And then you with know, the, that's when we get like the, the big code. smile, like Batman. Yeah, he's know. with Robin. And then, then remember, what's-his-face? Uh, I think it's Frederick Wortham. He comes up with that in the 50s, the comics code. and there's some. So they're trying to make it more lighthearted so it's not as serious. So they have them going to like freaking other dimensions and... You know, it's but, not in vogue Captain America. There's no place for him right now. But then in 1961, Timely Comics becomes uh, Marvel Comics. There might have been another transitional title in between there. I can't recall. So uh, Marvel Comics gets launched in 1961. And with this, we get November 61, we get the Fantastic Four, the first family of comics. And this is all under, the, all under Stan Lee. Stan Lee... Actually, you're ready to say something. Go for it. I'm sorry. No, but to go back is that when back when Stan Lee was Stanley Lieber, uh, when I guess Captain America came out, like issue three, Stan Lee uh, contributes to that issue. So he's he's there right almost at yeah. the inception. He was kind of like a like a gopher, and then uh, you know the kid that would go out and get them sandwiches and stuff, and very quickly becomes part of the team. I mean, it's a small team. Yeah, yeah. You and got then, like the two owls, you got Joe and Jack, and then you got, and you yeah. got this young kid. And he's pitching ideas. So he pitches, uh, he ends up contributing to the to the issue three story, which is called Captain America Foils the Traitor's Revenge. And that's his, his they, they say, they credit Stan Lee with the implementation of uh, Captain America's shield. Throwing the shield and having it almost like a boomerang where it returns back. Yeah. To him. So that's what I was saying. So yeah, go back. Yeah. So Stanley. So by, by, by 1960, 61. Yeah, he's helming it. He's Stan Lieber you know, is now Stanley. Because I think Timely Comics is part of a different, uh, like a larger thing of publishing, and the, whoever's working on it doesn't really give a shit about the, the comic book aspect of it. So they kind of just put it all on Stan's shoulders. Yeah. And so they transitioned into Marvel Comics in 1961. Stan, and I believe Kirby, invent the Fantastic Four. Mm-hmm. And part of that was because DC was having some success with the Justice League. Yeah. A team of superheroes. Even though it was a team of established superheroes, Stan's like, well, we could do like a team. So they do Fantastic Four. That's 61. At 62, he, they create the Hulk. Yeah. Uh, August 62, in uh, Journey into Mystery, number 83, we get Thor. Bang. Six, August 62, Amazing Fantasy, number 15, is of course... Spider-Man? Spider-Man. Spider-Man. March of 63, Tales of Suspense, number three, we get Iron Man. So we start establishing the Marvel Universe in the early 60s. And now, uh, by 64, late 63 into 64. About March 64, Avengers. They start to say, we'll have our Justice League. We'll take our established catalog, our, our, uh, our gallery of superheroes, uh, and we'll create the Avengers. Yeah. And in uh, 1964, Avengers number four, an iconic cover, uh, Kirby and Stan Lee uh, bring back Captain America. So almost 10 years after they tried to resurrect him in 1953, uh, in 1964, they resurrect him. And then this is where we get the storyline of Captain America 
being a man out of time. Yeah, and then the, like you said, the comic, the Avengers number four, the cover is very iconic. It's all them running towards what would be the camera, so to speak, and you got Thor's on the cover, Iron Man, Submariner's in a little box. Like, he's in this issue too. But yeah, what Blake is saying is you had him fighting Nazis in the 40s, and then he kind of dies out. They tried to bring him back with the commies in the 50s. Didn't really work. So now they have this great storyline where it's like that Mel Gibson movie, Forever Young, yeah. where it's like the idea is that he's he's frozen in a block of ice. And they come up with this big, what is it? He's he was he, Him and his uh, his buddy, who's his Robin, which I forget Bucky. the guy. Bucky. They're trying to fight, the, what is it? I think it's Captain, uh, what's the guy's, what's the, the, the crazy guy's name that they... Uh, Basically, uh, they find Remo or what the, you know. The they find him. They find Captain America. They find a person in a block of ice. They bring him aboard their ship. He thaws out and turns. And they're like, he's like, who are you? Oh, Be- Baron Z- Zemo. And he's like, I'm Captain America, and nobody believes him. Yeah. And they're like, well, what the hell happened? And he recites the story of him and Bucky fighting Baron Zemo, and they get this drone plane, and the, and on the drone planes, like, what is it, a bomb that's going to bomb the world? They have to get on the plane, and then. They're able to turn it off or whatever, but the plane crashes into North Atlantic. Bucky's evidently killed. <laughs> yeah, we and lose Bucky. We lose Bucky because he's a normal, he's like a Robin-esque, kind of like a Dick Grayson. And then Captain America is so freaking cold. He cold it block ice. Like that <laughs> Scooby-Doo episode with the, with, the, with, the, with the caveman in it. His super soldier blood so, yeah, keeps the, him alive. The super serum, which we haven't gotten to yet. But the reason he's kept alive is because the... What they injected of him, the, 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 the Vita, whatever, the Vita stuff, the super serum... Whatever that was in his body kept him alive. Yeah, and so he's thought out. He recites this story, and uh, the the upon entry back into the New York Harbor, the Avengers are ambushed, <laughs> and then they're like frozen or something. Yeah, and the Captain America comes the day, uh, comes and saves the day. And now we get this is what establishes. Yes, we have the origin story, which uh, we haven't gotten. I mean, you know, Dion's hinting at the idea of the super serum, and I think that's a very important part of the character that we can talk about in the context of this movie as well that we're t- covering today. But we get what has become like the trademark of Captain America for this movie. For the 2012, maybe yeah, movie, for yeah. the more recent movies with Chris Evans of like the idea of, which I guess is it the, that Captain America movie ends with that, with yeah, this which is like Captain Caveman, yeah. We <laughs> now get a, a man out of time, which is a brilliant plot device, yeah, and lends so much to this character. I mean, it's part of the genius of Stanley, yeah, because it's it's because it's so hard to have some people can call this like a very two toned or very. You know, Captain America, okay, he's America, he's great, he's in a suit that's not very, you know, uh, uh, it's not very camouflaged, but it's like <laughs> after that, it's like Wonder Woman, it's like, what do you do with the character in everyday life, and it's, and now you can add a, a dose of realism in yeah, that he's, there's, there's, he's been, uh, he's conflict, been MIA, yeah, you know, there's, uh, there's conflict for a guy who's, you know, whose sole purpose was to fight Nazis. Yeah, and so in the, in the 60s, with the, the induction of the Comic Code Authority, in the old days, the super serum was being injected into him with a needle. But since we don't want to do have drug use or whatever, the Vita Ray exposure, they turn it into a po- he's drinking that stuff. So, yeah. and then we also find out that there's elements of Nick Fury. He had, and that's the reason they know each other from the war because Nick Fury had Nick Fury and his Halloween Commandos. Yeah. Nick Fury, because he's part of Shield, or he's the he's the now the head of Shield. He had a bit of this serum, so there's a reason why they know each other. And there's uh, you know that the, the she, Nick Fury is kind of staying young. 
I know we're going over this quickly. Yeah. Um, and but, then the other thing is too that FDR Roosevelt gives him the shield. That's the that's in the World War II, which I think is an awesome. You know, uh, he presents him the the vibranium, and it was done by this guy uh, who invented it. But then. Uh, it was only invented once. I think he's killed. It might be the same person who invented the serum. And then when they try to reverse engineer the vibranium to try to figure out how they got this, that's how they get antimanium. Antimantium. Antimanium. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Wolverine stuff. That's where that that's where that comes from. Is, yeah. is is them trying to reverse engineering how the hell they got the the the, the, the potion right or the 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 formula right to do the the, the shield. So now I think what's really interesting about Captain America, and it's the the origin story of Captain America, which obviously plays you know somewhat of a, a significant part of this movie, and and especially in the more recent Chris Evan uh, starred movies, is that look he's not uh, well, Captain America isn't a, a being from another world. He's not Superman. He's not uh, a kid who witnessed the tra- traumatic experience of his kids his parents being killed like batman batman he's not uh bitten by a radioactive spider he's not a kid who whose initial instinct after beca- getting powers from being bitten by a radioactive spider is to capitalize and go on wrestling. and profit and yeah. it's not until the you know death the in his- the the death of his uncle who he inadvertently may have caused that makes him realize that with great power comes uh, great responsibility. It's a guy. And he's who, not a psychopathic vet who who, uh, who his family gets killed in Central Park. And goes and, <laughs> you know, he's not that either. And yeah. he's not like a, f- a group of scientists that get some kind of crazy intergalactic, you know, f- solar flare or whatever that turns him into the Fantastic Four. He's a regular guy. He's a small dude who uh, is all heart. He wants to contribute to the war the best he can, even though he might not be able to physically uh, be able to to stand on the front lines with everybody. He's like Kirby. He can't stand bullies, and he wants to make the world a better place. Yeah, and which is which was the sentiment in the in during World War Two. You do your part, even if you couldn't fight. If you had to stay home, you're still doing stuff here at, the, at home, women and men, you know? So that's, that's, it, it represents the... That's why they call that the greatest generation. These he's, people who won a war, who saved the world. full of heart, and he's full of uh, courage and bravery. Courage. And, uh, <laughs> you know, it's not in this movie, but if we take, like, one of the best mo- moments in Marvel movie uh, history, in my opinion, is in that first... Captain America, the first Avenger movie with Chris Evans when he's in training and that grenade gets like flies in on training and a grenade and and everybody scrambles, but he jumps on it. Yeah. And he's like, get away, get away. And it turns out it's, it's, it's not going to explode. And that's when like Tommy Lee Jones says like, this is this guy's, this is it. He's captain. He's, he's captain America. Before he's even injected. He doesn't become captain America. You know, it's just that the the, the secret super serum uh, gives him the ability to fulfill his destiny as Captain America. But he's he is Captain America going in. And I think it's uh, very it's what makes this character very special. And unfortunately, when we get into this 1990 movie, uh, that's there, but it's not as fleshed out. And but it's also he's got the he's also got the thing where he's. Not really the first, but he's the first of the American super soldiers. 
but upon his instantly becoming you know the experiment the person the scientist who helmed the project is murdered yeah dr joseph reinstein and so he's forced to be the but only one abraham uh Erskine was the yeah he gets killed yes cuz it's all which is much like this movie it's all in the, the formula is in the person's head yeah and like this when the the the, the creation of the shield so once they get killed you know they've only got one although there must be elements of it because Project Infinity, which is what Nick Fury alludes to that S.H.I.E.L.D. has, is the reason why he's staying young. But with this superhuman project called Project Rebirth, uh, they take Rogers as they, they think he has the, the psychic, this, this, the psyche to, to try this experiment. And they, they inject him with this, this super serum and, uh, you know, the Vita Ray exposure and he becomes, uh, you know, Captain America. He becomes the super soldier. And he has the, you know, it helps him perfect his strength, agility, stamina, stamina well, he knows and intelligence. It's, he, it's important that he is a made super. Because someone with physical strength who's never been bullied would, w- would not... Maybe use it for nefarious yeah, reasons. Yeah, you need someone who is... You like, take Superman out of it. <laughs> Downtrodden, yeah. you know, who's been bullied. You need, he, they wanted, the scientists wanted somebody... That with given the powers would be Hand, strong right enough way. and be able to, to to not be corrupted. Yeah, and that's why Steve Rogers is chosen, and then is forced to be kind of like the lone Captain America. I mean, now uh, I don't know enough about the comics, but in the in both of, in this movie and I believe also in the more recent Captain America movie, the idea is that Red Skull is kind of like his foil, yeah. his foil, but also like the guinea pig of this experiment oh that's why he's you know like yeah they're they're brothers in the in 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 science yeah you know he's they're they're foils not only uh you know two at, uh, on both ends of the spectrum in terms of like the nazis and and like and and uh the american way and whatnot but they're also two sides of the same coin yeah they're both these super soldiers just one for for each side of the equation then before we get into the movie there's a great crossover that i loved growing up with punisher and captain america it's a two-parter called blood and glory and it came out in october 92 very good um but i guess do we transition to the movie now do we start talking so. more I about mean, captain america? a lot of these plot points we're up, talking about yeah. are, are part of this movie but he is re- he's reissued in the 60s he comes back and he has a a run and he's been through, through everything into the seventies, and they they talk about you know they they talk uh, he he meets and trains this guy Sam Wilson who becomes the Falcon, and the Falcon also ends up taking over in the Captain America's place when Captain America is killed in the um, the Secret Wars or not the Secret Wars the one that just the Civil War that just yeah. happened a couple years ago. They address homophobia. There's a lot of like they did in the seventies. They they start yeah. to address and a lot the, of the and cultural. Then Bucky comes back know, as the Winter Soldier, which is yeah. Because they think he's dead. In the movie, The Winter Soldier. Yeah, and then then there's a weird thing with the super serum where, uh, in one of the issues, uh, he's by a methamphetamine lab and it blows up, and the chemical reaction has an effect on this, on uh, Captain America's super serum. So there's a time there where it alters his biochemistry and his body starts to deteriorate. So he has to wear like an exoskeleton, and then he gets old. There's 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 ups and downs. (laughs) Fifty years. (laughs) Yeah, he dies for a little while. He comes back. of yeah. comic book history that so the since his reinduction in 1964 with Avenger with Avengers number four, he has been 
an ongoing character yeah. in the Marvel Universe. And uh, he makes his first uh, screen appearance. They give him a little serial in 1944. So he gets a little serial yeah. there, which I've never heard or seen. I've only seen clips in reference to like the history of yeah. And Captain what does America. he look like? Does he look like he a, looks very much like Captain America? Captain America. So yeah. he's not like you know changed drastically. No, or, he looks you know like the equivalent of like, like Batman. The Batman at the time. Yeah. yeah. So uh, getting into the movie now, then you have uh, our old friends, Cannon. <laughs> <laughs> the old guys. Yes. Uh, we have uh, Gollum and, and Globus. Gollum and Globus. Now, they, uh, in the 80s, they're also the ones that kind of acquired the rights to Spider-Man. Yeah, this is what a lot of people don't know. Or in the 80s, you had Superman was huge, put DC Comics on the map, and uh, 77 is, is Superman. With the Warner Brothers movie. Yeah. 78, maybe? Okay, that might sound right. And then it takes a full 10 years to get Batman out. That's 89. So in the 80s, Gollum and Globus doing canon. Well, this is where... Times were rough for Marvel, yeah. for comic books, well, because and for they, Marvel comics. Marvel, we talk about these and all the other th- casts, but you know, um, Hulk is doing well on TV, but they put Spider-Man out that doesn't do well. They tried Wonder Woman is doing well. That's DC, sorry. Uh, whatever else they tried to do wasn't really hitting. They had a Saturday morning cartoon show. They're selling toys, but Marvel yeah. isn't really doing as well as the DC. And the comic books aren't selling. Yeah. So uh, basically. Uh, doesn't Stan get to the idea ke- to keep Marvel afloat? Um, Stan starts. Stan starts to sell off the, the basically the film rights to all of Marvel's gr- hoping biggest, that they'll they'll have heroes. this big. And that's where we get like the Corman Fantastic Four movie. And there's things that happen with rights where if like you don't use them by a certain time, they revert back. And that's why the Corman movie, there's a big and we talk about this obviously in the Corman Fantastic Four episode, that there's this big thought as to like they just rushed it so that they wouldn't lose the rights. Yeah. And that happens a lot. They did that with um with Because the, the people that own the rights that made the movie through Corman were the same people that made the Sony or whatever Fox yeah. Fantastic Four movies, you know, in the early two thousands. And that and that's when uh, Stan sells all these rights off. That leads us to where we are now, where in the 90s, they, uh, Fox and Sony end up acquiring Spider-Man, Ghost Rider, Fantastic Four, Hulk, um, maybe Punisher. Yeah. Um, that's Daredevil. That's why you have these movies that came out in the late 90s, the X-Men and X-Men, stuff, yeah. that weren't affiliated with Marvel Comics. When Marvel Comics makes its own studio and hooks up with Disney, And that's why we Iron were talking Man. about with, like, when they started, when Marvel decided to throw their head in the ring and start making Marvel Studios movies, it was, like, the Hulk and Iron Man and Thor. It was all these characters that, like I was saying, when they were starting to come out, I was like, who gives a crap about these yeah, characters? Yeah, and it's because that's <laughs> the only thing they those are the only ones they they still own the rights to. Yeah, and then end up, we've ended up finding out there's a whole segment of the population there, but we've been waiting all our lives for this movie, so they end up doing great. And then when these some of these rights start to revert back, that's how you get some of these characters starting to show up, or they do these big mega deals where Sony will let Spider-Man guest yeah. in it. But a reason why they had the this latest Fantastic Four movie that came and went that I never saw a couple years ago, that maybe when we did the Fantastic Four movie... We had talked about doing it. Maybe we oh, did. Oh, we might have. We might have corresponded done, with the one that came out. We might have done the Corman movie in correspondence with that. But one. that came and went because that was an example which I heard. I don't know if it's true that they were trying to keep the rights. You know, because if you don't use, if you don't do anything with the property for say five or six years, you're sitting on it. They there's a, a stipulation in the contract that these people could take it back and do something. They'll sell it to somebody who will. So 
when Stan starts in the 80s selling all these things, Cannon at the time, who's having a hell of a track record with Charlie Bronson and with Chick, Chuck Norris and, you know, there's Van Damme movies they start Stallone, doing. Stallone. Start doing, yeah. Stallone. Uh, we did the Over the Top last year. Yeah. We, did, we did a couple. We did Invasion USA, another Cannon movie. We did Masters of the Universe. That they're like, oh, these guys could be suited to do it. So Gollum and Globus, who at the same time think that they're they're bigger than their britches, yeah. they they acquire the rights to Superman four, and then at the time they have like a thirty one million dollar budget for like Superman four, and then what ends up happening is that like right before they're about to shoot that darn thing, they they drop from forty million it drops to like seventeen million. Yeah. So suddenly they they have this disastrous special effects for Superman four. It looks really bad compared to the first three. And at the same time, they're doing Masters of the Universe. Those both come out and they kind of flop. Yeah. So all of a sudden now, and you we know, talk, and when we did Masters of the Universe, we talked about which you did that's another can, the, yeah. The the turmoil of like what was happening at that time, yeah, and how like all of a sudden they didn't have any money, and then they because they're and they weren't <laughs> they, yeah, they're weird, they're weird business model of canon and how they were doing this stuff. Yeah, they paid so, like, over the top. They paid Stallone like too much money. To do over the top, and it, it was it was the a Stallone it, cast is actually very fascinating. Yeah, as we get all into like how they created a tournament. Yeah, the over <laughs> so, the yeah so over I, the top. You should check. I it. actually yeah. think that episode is really interesting. I do as well. Um, Frank Lozier, but in the uh, but it all comes in relation to this. But because I think the I think the Masters Universe episode seems like a very similar story. Yeah, which is like they didn't even really get to finish it, you know, because of you know. Funding and I, it's like they were sneaking around and back onto the set to try to finish the movie. They steal shots. Yeah, and, they were going to do like uh, back Masters Universe two, and that didn't materialize. And they were going to do a Spider Man that didn't materialize. So those sets that were built were ended up used for Cyborg. Yeah, and the, uh, the Van Dam movie that has the same director. This movie, Albert uh, Payun, Payun, uh, who is like a protege of like uh, Akira Kurosawa. So I think in like eighty eight, eighty nine. Uh, Gullen and Gold was canon, like, kind of implodes. Yeah. And even though you're still having hits with, like, uh, Van Damme, Bronson, and Chuck Norris, they're fair into the superhero movies like S- Superman 4, Masters of the Universe. Those all kind of fall apart and don't yeah. make the money back or over the top with Stallone. So when it explodes or implodes, uh, one of the two gets to take the rights with him, right? Yeah, Manahem Gullen decides to part of his exit deal he he leaves and now apparently as a, so the story goes i don't you know always a lot of what we talk about in terms of this is all we hears, make it up is all hearsay because it's you know you hear one sides of stories or you find things online but uh, uh, albert payun who had made cyborg who had actually apparently a very bad experience making cyborg didn't get to make his vision but he's hanging out and he hears that uh Gullen is lo- is leaving canon, and he's allowed to take the what is it twenty first century pictures or something is yeah is what this mo- is what uh, Captain America is made under, and he's allowed to take that as part of his exit deal. <laughs> and uh, Payun says that it was him that goes to Gullen says you should see if you could take Captain America with you, and because he wants to do it. But part of the deal, regardless, is that part of this, uh, part of what he gets is is the property of, of Captain America. And so in some ways, not even in some ways, but it's not, it's not a, uh, Captain America is not a canon film by the canon group, 
but it is it is brought to you by the same people. <laughs> yeah, who brought to you like, and that's why we got confused with the Punisher because it's the same year. And I thought th- for the life of me, uh, I haven't listened to the first episode, but we, we were right when we talked about it then. But when we referenced it in episodes since then, we kept referring it to canon because it seems like a canon. Uh, but it was, but at the same time, didn't wasn't there a problem there with the? It was Orion maybe, and that was reason or something. Oh, that's maybe, why yeah. it fell apart, and that's why the Punisher never sees a. A, a domestic theatrical release it gets an international one and that kind of messes it up but some of the problems start to happen here with this movie because one of the biggest things we learn very quickly uh is that you can't make a superhero movie without a budget <laughs> and and <laughs> well, i don't you know mean it, that i don't mean that they don't do it well here but i mean you, very soon like with superman 4 they realize they don't have the budget for what they want or need yeah. to do there's something un- very unfortunate about the way superhero properties for the most part were handled in our youth. Um, and I think it's part like not understanding that there's serious stories. I mean, that starts it's like to, Batman 66 with, yeah. with, with uh, it, Dozier. It starts, it starts to, it starts to transition in the eighties when you get people like Frank Miller and, you know, telling like dark Knight stories and stuff. It starts to, and you get the killing joke. Yeah. It, it, the comic books are taking, Especially, especially Batman, but also like Daredevil. They're taking and Punisher. They're taking a much more serious turn. So you get like the fans really understanding that comic books aren't really kids. They get there. away from the code almost too, as well. They start telling controversial stories. Yeah, and uh, and so then you get like Batman nineteen eighty nine, which by today's standards we look back and it seems a. A little a, campy, a slightly on the campy side, but at the time seemed like a very serious, yeah. dark telling. And that's nothing to take away um, from it because I love Batman. No, no, and no, Batman it, Returns. it's yeah. not. It's just it's you know sometimes it's a you different need to movie take, from Batman Begins. You or, need to take like baby steps, yeah. and that seemed so terribly serious and dark yeah. at the time because we're comparing it to Adam West, you know the Adam West Batman. Sure, we had Superman, but Superman is a very different yeah, piece. Different, we had the yeah. Donner movie, but but then we also had like. You know, Superman 3, which is very much, you know, very comedic. Yeah, with Richard Pryor. Yeah, yeah. And Supergirl has, you know, some very hokey and kind of comedic aspects to it as well. Um, And that kind of bombed too, didn't it, Supergirl? I believe that it didn't do uh, all that great. That's a movie I haven't, I'd love to do that because I haven't seen that since back in the day. But I remember they used to play the shit out of that on like Movie Channel or HBO. And I'd always catch that. And that, for me, it's like you can always tell. It's like Santa Claus, the movie, which we did on here. You can always tell a Superman movie. They all have that look, you know, the back screen projection. You know what I mean? So, like, yeah. you know, what she's flying around. It's very, with the, the stock they're shooting on, the exposure, the lighting. It's very Superman-y to me. So, yeah, so there is an element of, like, schlock. Yeah. They're not taking it too, I mean. But, unfortunately, the Marvel. But, con- I mean, look at the, our, I'm sorry to break in, but look at the, even the action movies at the time. Sure. There, those are, uh, you know, exercises and, you know, ridiculousness with all the Schwarzenegger, like Raw D, you know, Commando, Raw, you know. Yeah. Red, you know, Red Dawn. You know, I mean, they're all just kind of silly. Yeah. And, unfortunately, like, the Marvel properties were not sold off to, like, you know, big budget studios. That they, were, they had no like interest. Warner Brothers think. that was willing to put. You know, it you took know, ten years like to get Batman big, off, or to, to do a big budget for Superman and Superman Two, and then put the ten years later finally get the Batman movie made with like a very serious budget. Yeah, or Dick uh, Tracy. You know, it's like the people that weren't interested. 
you know? And I think it's just because people, they were considered kids' movies, and unfortunately, like, from the storytelling aspect of it, there weren't too many people, probably on the business end of it, not to creative end, that were willing to take it seriously. And how did um, Tarzan do when it came out? Greystoke. Because I wonder if that also, since that was a... a property that was like a Batman, you know, it was, it went back it was to the thirties novel yeah. property. So I, I wonder know. if that, that could, if that didn't do well, they could be like, look, this considered, I mean, it's a costume. Yeah. Drama. So I if, mean, it's if, an epic, if it starts with an overture, you know, it was you definitely, know yeah. if they were going for like the kind of movie that would get nominated. So if that comes out Award. in 85 or 86, that doesn't do well. That's why Batman takes a 10 years to do. Dick Tracy barely is able to, you know, like these movies. And I, I can't think of, I feel like there's a couple other movies at the time that were superhero, aside from Supergirl, but, you know, they weren't, they yeah. weren't really interested because there was no, nothing really hit it out of the park aside from Superman. Superman started this whole thing, but then when you get to, you can really trace where we are now with these movies from Batman. Batman really opened the door and then with Batman the animated series and the success of you know and then then with the first X-Men movie you know that succeeding with you know I would say probably <clears throat> obviously Batman the animated series wouldn't exist without the Tim Burton Batman movie but I would say if any, I would say that that's probably even more influential on like taking cuz that was even more serious than the yeah, it was straight. Movies. Yeah, like it was like to this day, it's still one of some my of the great storytelling. Yeah. I mean, it is, and we did a we did a podcast on that as well. We keep we, we keep tickling our brim, but <laughs> we keep saying what we've done. But we we only bring it up because we talked about these. At a length. lot of these things, you could hear us talk yeah. more in depth about. Uh, so, but that was probably like the first real, like a serious kind of take on yeah like tragedy, like the Clayface story you know or or the mr uh mr freeze yeah that yeah. you know the, that's the first time they introduced that that and that's since become canon you know his backstory there and then you know the tragedy. so it's like they're av- adding a level that you see with alan moore doing in the killing joke of the tragedy of the joker character or yeah. whatever this I is i mean it's in the guise of a an afternoon tele cartoon show for yeah. kids 22 but minutes it is but. to this day still pretty compelling and serious yeah. story and that like. got a whole genre of cartoon shows after yeah that. justice I mean, league the, and, the, you the know, superman and the justice Batman league ones weren't quite as serious but still great entertaining television yeah but there was something very special about that batman the animated series that really changed everything and even the music but like too. you said that wouldn't exist without the tim burton batman movies. yeah and uh so when canon was first you know, thinking to direct uh, to do this, they were looking at the director Michael Winner, who did the first three Death Wishes, uh, to to helm this project, and that would be a completely different movie to have the Death Wish director coming in here with the the violence and the brutality of the first three Death Wishes into this. But then, and then the original plot there, it's something like where they're they're looking at like uh, Red Skull, an elderly Red Skull steals the Statue of Liberty, yeah, very very David Copperfield, GI Joe, the movie. the movie, the eighty six movie, yeah, of course, yeah. Um, and then there was going to be like a female death cult, which is very 70s occult, you know, and then like that. But then they scrapped that idea and they, they start over with, uh, with Stan Lee helping out and Lawrence Block. And then in 89, uh, when, when we were just talking about when, when, when Canon splits because of their bankruptcy or whatever happens, they rejigger the idea. And, they, and I don't know if it's a, if it's a budget reason, but they, they kind of revamp the backstory where they make uh, Red Skull Italian. And none of this here... Yeah, yeah. bothers me per se. I yeah. mean, I love you. I will, I will just say because you mentioned Lawrence Block that to me, uh, you know, I don't know Lawrence Block 
from anything other than that I think he wrote Funhouse, the Toby Hooper movie, yeah. which I love. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I even, the, the, the guy who directed this, the, the soundtrack, Barry Rosenberg, who, how do I know him? Because I feel like he's done a lot of stuff. He did a lot of television. Okay, because I know that name. Uh, Goldberg. Goldberg. I thought I had Rosenberg, sorry. Um, so then when they start getting into the production of this movie, they, they start to realize, because then it's, it's also going to coincide with the 50th anniversary of Captain America. So like, oh, we can make this a big event. We're going to do the movie. We could have it come out the same, the, the, around the same time. Uh, I and hear, those kind of anniversaries were big, because I remember... It's right when Batman's out, um, too. Like the 50th anniversary of Superman. Yeah. He was on the cover of Time magazine. Yeah. I still have that issue somewhere. So, it's a, so these things are huge at the time, and, and there, there was... Um, there was posters in theaters, I remember, for this. Of The Shield, right? Yeah, and then they had they had a teaser trailer or two that, that were in the theater, you know, at the time. So that, that's coming soon, and there might have even been, like, some, you know, some maybe TV spots. I like that, I mean, if, assuming that this is correct, I like that in 1987, uh, when Winter was off the project, apparently, <laughs> so so the story goes, they turned, and that actor-director John Stockwell was at, at one time yeah. attached to it, and... Uh, we just talked about John Stockwell because he plays Dennis in Christine. Yeah, and that would have been cool. And he went on to direct one of my favorite movies, Blue Crush. <laughs> yeah, and then yeah, he's doing what like Back to School at that point, and then he's like, well, oh, that's our, that's uh, that's uh, oh yeah, I'm guy. sorry, the other guy, yeah, because then he doesn't he direct yeah. too? He does, he yeah. directs as well, yeah. Uh, and oh, because is no, there's no relation to Dean Stockwell. Is there? I used to think that he was Dean Stockwell's son, but that's I think in I think in researching for Christine I discovered that I don't I actually don't think he is but for years I thought he we could just tell people it is right, but that's a lie too that's my thing uh, tell people people are related so they, they so they I used to tell people that Jason Lee and Stan Lee were <laughs> and people would believe you <laughs> yeah because oh that's how they got him from Mulvrights oh yeah that makes <laughs> sense um, so they kind of they kind of refit the backstory for this movie where they they turn um uh, you know, Red Skull from a Nazi to an Italian, which isn't that far of a stretch because at the time, you know, it was Italy, Germany, and uh, Japan we were fighting in World I'm War II. Sh- it doesn't bother me. No. But I don't know why. I, I think it was budgetary restrictions. Maybe they couldn't do as much. They, they maybe found a villa to shoot on, and they're like, yeah, this looks more, way more like the Italian coast than it does. Yeah. You know. But that, but that said, they could have had it just been taking place in Italy at the time when we were still fighting the Italians because yeah. we invaded Italy and went up the coast after North Africa. So. Well, I think that's also part of why a lot of these, this era of, of superhero movie... I think part of the problem, and like you said, now looking back, this doesn't bother us. Yeah, but but pun- at the time, it pissed Bob people Punisher off. didn't bother us either. Uh, walk looking at it now, I think part of the reason why some of these things were not successful is because people weren't liking that. Keeping were, yeah. thing, you know, well, the that people that were making the movies weren't weren't following like the fucking Bible of that, the show. That certainly <laughs> pissed me off when the Punisher originally came out. You know, you and know? I remember having conversations with Mondo about that. Like there, you know? there wasn't as they. There wasn't a, the attention to detail. Yeah. People thought they could just, like, flippantly... At least this was the aspect of us as kids who were this stuff, like, flippantly just, like, fuck with our heroes. Yeah, because they thought it would make a like, better... Who cares? Yeah. And they, you see that today, too. Well, they'll take a great yeah. novel and they'll rejigger it and they ruin it. And you're like, what the hell? Why did you have to do that? And, you know, I don't know, you know... Look, I don't know most of these Marvel characters as well as I know things like Spider-Man and stuff. So, I mean... You know, it could still be happening. I mean, Spider-Man, 
you know, people were willing to accept that Spider-Man didn't have web shooters with the Sam Raimi movies, you know. But there was all this, you know, kink. But today it's like uh, it, Green Goblin seems very weird and dated. Who knows? The but, Raimi version? Yeah. Yeah, yeah I already see, it's already kind of, da- his movies are oddly already kind of dated from the new ones, which is odd. Uh, but you know, who knows? There was this thought that whoever Green, however Green Goblin is portrayed in the comic books, wouldn't work cinematically then, and maybe he wouldn't. You know, it's it's, it's a tough thing when you're it's trying you to adapt it, something. You know, you know? Uh, and that was the problem with Batman and Joker in the original Batman movie, or even these reboots now. Yeah. But so they do that. They 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 change his backstory. And another thing that the the the, the guy who does the makeup, uh, Greg Cannon, uh, can't cam him. Who's an Oscar winner? He decides that they don't. He doesn't want the audience looking at the Red Skull, his Red Skull for the entire well, freaking movie. So Stephen Tolkien, who wrote the script, also kind of takes credit for that change. Yeah, which I, you know what, in now ret- retrospective, I kind of agree with. I mean, they were worried that 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 uh, he was going to look like like Hen- quote Henry Silva in a Halloween mask. Or they're going to look like a, a Henry Silva Halloween mask, what he's wearing. So I like at the beginning you get that Red Skull, but then. As the plot of this movie progresses and we have the plot that they made in 60, the 60s is that now he's a contemporary, you know, out of time. It makes complete sense to me that Red Skull would be having extensive <laughs> yeah, surgeries because like, he, he's not going to have a fucking Red Skull for 60 yeah, years. Yeah, I mean, a lot of people you hear reviews and stuff are all like upset, like the makeup actually looked pretty good. I don't know why they had him change so that he looked him. But it's like, it's totally believable. Yeah, like they're not going to have this guy. Yeah, he's going to be living in a world. <laughs> He can't be behind closed doors forever, so of course he's going to spend shitloads of money to, you know. So get, to get into this movie specifically, you have a what if that they had Val Kilmer audition for the role as as uh, as uh, Steve Rogers, but he decides to do the Doors. They said they were looking at Dolph Lundgren because he had just did Red Scorpion and he had did, done uh, Masters of the Universe. They looked at even Schwarzenegger. I don't know how likely they would have been able to acquire these people, but yeah. Schwarzenegger, they said that they said no because of his accent. I can understand that. Uh, also, Albert Payune had... Uh, his concept was to have two actors play Steve Rogers before... Oh, the, and after, yeah. Before and after, and he had talked to Howie Long, the football player, yeah. about playing Captain America post... Uh, that would have been awesome. <laughs> you know? Yeah, but they end up getting a, a guy named I think his first name's Matt Matt Salinger, who is the son, son of legendary author J D Salinger, who wrote Catcher in the Rye. Yeah, who, and then the people know who that is. I mean, he's a hugely infamously uh, uh, like a hoarder or not, not a hoarder, but he's a, he's one of these people who live alone. He doesn't want to be bothered. They did a documentary a couple of years ago, which is supposed to be very good. I haven't seen it up on Salinger. I think it's called Salinger yeah. about uh, J.D. Salinger's life and all this kind of stuff. And that's amazing in itself. I, I didn't know until coming to this movie that that's his son because I don't, I don't recognize him from a lot of other stuff. No. I mean, the only thing I kind of recognize him from is I think he's one of like the jock uh, frat boy guys from Revenge of the Nerds. Oh yeah, he is in that. Yeah, but uh, he's yeah, he's not familiar from a ton of things. Yeah. So uh, the cast in this movie is epic. <laughs> I mean, yeah, and many many returning. Yeah, uh, uh, people Saturday to, to come sleep, sleep over again. I mean, you have. I mean, I, I realize on one hand you're going to say it's a paycheck, so of course these people are going to come because what are they doing around the time this is happening? But on the other hand, it's like, well, you put them all in the same room, and it's pretty cool yeah. that they have all these kind of guys. You got Ronnie Cox, 
who yeah. we we just had on what RoboCop last Robocop, year. RoboCop, and he's also in uh, Total Recall. Yes, uh, one we haven't done yet, but we we're thinking of because we've been having such requests for the old <laughs> Seems like Verhoeven Total Recall. At least movie. one guy really wants us yeah. to do that. Hey, we lo- I love that Verhoeven. I haven't seen it you know, in, in twenty years, but he's in that. I mean, and he got a start in uh, he's in uh, Deliverance, and he's in a I think he's in a movie or two with what's her face uh, Carrie. What's her name? Sissy Space. Yeah, and there's a movie where he's like a honky tonk guitar Probably. player or something. And and uh, so you have Ronnie Cox, you have Ned Beatty, who I love, who at the time, uh, this is like a right around the time of Ed and His Dead Mother. It's another niche movie that I love. He's in. Have we not Ed had Buscemi. Ned Beatty on the show yet? I don't. I don't feel like we've had Ned. I, I feel like we have. I don't know because like you know he he's in so much stuff. I mean, we didn't do Superman. Uh, well, we haven't done any of him with Burt Reynolds. He's he's he has that great role in White Lightning that I love. He's the sheriff. I don't think he he might not have been on yet, but we have him and his sons in the movie. His son plays himself. I feel like there's a very conscious homage to a Christmas story in this movie because at the beginning, when when it's young Ronnie Cox with young Ned Beatty, who's played by Ned Beatty's son in real life, playing young Ned Beatty. Ned Beatty's son, young Ned Beatty, looks exactly like Ralphie from A Christmas yeah, Story. Yeah. Blonde hair, big glasses. Uh, and the, the two other connections to Christmas Story, you have the great Darren McGavin in this great freaking Darren movie. Darren McGavin, who was, uh, we obviously talked about. Kolchak. With Kolchak when we did the Night Stalker movie. Yeah, he's amazing. TV movie. He's in this, and this is like right around the time of like, you know, he's doing a lot of episodes. He's, he was in Dead Heat. He's in a lot of stuff around this time, doing a lot of work. And you have Melinda Dillon, who plays the mother in A Christmas yes. Story. She was featured on this show. Yes, last year because we did Slapshot. Slapshot, and she's in Harry and the Hendersons. And she's in Harry and the Hendersons. And I think you you get to see her boobs in Slapshot. Slapshot, which is, a, <laughs> and she's in, in this too. In yeah, that. just in case you had a you, you had a, uh, an urge to go see those things. So she here shows up. So that that's the trifecta for. I feel like that was a Christmas story reference. Um, and then the story is, we have another connection, and it's not an episode that you're on. But the guy who plays the Red Skull, Ted Pollan, yeah, who also, who I noticed, I recognized when we watched it because he also plays like the doctor, the right? army doctor. Yeah, he's like you ain't gonna make it. Yeah, he plays the drama teacher in Teen Wolf. Oh, okay, yeah, and who, in, in many ways, steals the show for me in that movie. Yeah, he's so great uh, as, as as the drama teacher. And you did that with what's his face, Bromley, with, right? With uh, Patrick Bromley from uh, F this movie, we talked about Teen Wolf yeah. on a uh, guest over. So he that so if he's that means he's been on the show before. So we have he, that connection, and. Uh, I feel like there are a couple more here, but uh, to get into the to the plot of this movie quickly is that it starts like like it basically like the Captain America movie from a couple of years ago, where it starts takes place in the forties. Yeah, but it kind of starts even oh before, before that. Yeah, oh, you you get the great uh, ex, the first X Men opening. Remember the, the the what sold me <laughs> on the first X Men movie is yeah. that you have it start at maybe if it's Auschwitz or I don't know it's one concentration camp. Yeah, you know. Uh, Freedom through work, and you have that opening sequence with Magneto, and I think to this day it still gives me goosebumps, and I think that's such a great way to ground a superhero movie in, in the realism. And they kind of do that here, where you have like uh, Red Skulls taken from his family, he's killed, and because he's a child prodigy, and they try to test the shit out on him, it doesn't work as well. They have that great little effect of the rat at the beginning, you know, that yeah. they're turning into yeah. something, you know, it's like stop motion. That's like their budget right there. Um, so he turns into Red Skull, and then it's weird because he's like. 12 there then it says seven years later and now he's like grown up so he's got to be like what 15 or 16 or 17 when he's red skull proper well i guess yeah he's 21 i guess i guess he could be 
you know, know, but he's in all that makeup. So yeah, he's, he looks older. Yeah, he, yeah, <laughs> he hasn't aged. Well. <laughs> yeah, he hasn't aged well at all. And then you have, and then you have the end up being the 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 story where he uh, here where the the woman is an Italian. She gets away. Who has the serum? She 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 entered. She finds uh, Steve Rogers. She gives it to him. It's a success. But I mean, to tackle this movie, I don't know how to get into this. Then we're, we're pressed for time. Where it's like. The movie's done surprisingly well. Like it's like the scene where they make Captain America, Captain America. You have um, the actor Bill uh, Mumy, who people know from Lost in Space. Yeah, also he was the little boy in Lost in Space, and, and he's in a some classic Twilight, Twilight Zone episodes, episodes, including the one that the Joe Dante uh, did for the Twilight Zone. The movie for the movie is based. Yeah, on. and he's he's a great child actor who did some acting in, into the nineties and. And he's he plays a cameo. He plays young Gary McGavin in this scene here. Yeah, you know, I I watched this movie a year or two ago yeah. for the first time, and I totally didn't pick up that. Well, they do the ear thing, so I, I kept <laughs> looking. I was like, you gotta have Darren McGavin's got to do the ear thing more than once to get that <laughs> that he's the young Darren McGavin in this because he's the one who brings this guy with him who's supposed to be like Roosevelt's liaison from the White House. But then the he's scene, like, oh, how I have. yeah, it's but it's great. It's, it comes out of nowhere. So you have the scene where it's like they make they make Captain America, and then uh, whoever he is, if he's like a colonel or whatever, uh, the Darren McGavin, Bill Mooney character intros this guy who's with him, and this guy takes a gun out and like shoots the, and it sucks. It's out of nowhere. It scares the shit out of me. It's yeah. great. It's shoots horrifying. The, shoots the Stanley Tucci part. Yeah. Uh, oh yeah. From the <laughs> and kills and, and kills her, and that's where the the the, the secret goes with her. The formula. So my point is there's some really good acting in this movie, how they carry stuff and all that. It's just, there's like, since there's no budget, a lot of it's played to like black, you know, they don't, they're just like in black, dark sound stages. Yeah, you, yeah. you can't do a lot of, you know, there's a lot of problems here with... Uh, yeah, I mean, this movie's biggest flaw is that it's clearly... They have no money. No money. They blew the money on making the costume. <laughs> I mean, and, <laughs> you know I mean that's, that's and even that's not great, unfortunately. Yeah, I mean, I like it, but it's it's yeah. something about you it know doesn't that, fit right. That doesn't fit right in the eyes. Uh, also, like I think Max Salinger's fine in it. There's something about him where like he doesn't have the right face for that mask, and that like he's a handsome guy, but. It's accentuate that like the cowl type situation it, it, that like Batman the, his has nose and, and yeah it it is it like it's highlighting like his least attractive features yeah so like he he's not pulling it off uh, unfortunately mask wise also like it's did you notice that they're fake ears the um, no I was looking at his the little wings so I was yeah because they it was very important to Mar- Marvel I think didn't want this movie to get made because they thought it was going to be bad so Marvel put in a lot of they had a lot of say, so they exercised their rights to be able to say things. And part of in it these was, clauses, yeah, in their clauses, part of it was that you can't use two actors for Steve Rogers. And they're doing this on purpose to hopefully to fuck up the. Yeah, I think yeah, so that they won't make it. And part of it was that like you have to show his ears. Yeah, like the in tests, uh, Payune, the director, didn't like the way the suit was looking, so he wanted to say, could like we make it like a darker suit more akin to like what's in the comic books now and they were like no like well can we like at least not have his ears because they couldn't get the ear hole to work right yeah you know it always looked kind of weird and so they couldn't do that so the 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 solution they made which was like apparently the suit is made by the same people that built the batman suit wow um I don't know if it's well, desi- no nonsense. Though. I don't know if it's designed by the same people, but I've found a couple of counts 
including Alvin Payune saying it, that it was built by the same they made the same people that made the Batman suit made this suit. The Tim Burton, yeah, yeah. And uh so if you look closely in some of the scenes, you can see that their their workaround for not being able to, for not getting the suit to work right to have uh, Matt Salinger's ears come through the suit was that the suit has fake ears built onto it. That's, that's so weird. I didn't even realize because I was looking at the little wing, yeah, the little yeah. the little things he has. I mean, the biggest things for this is like for me, I feel like the acting in the scenes are surprisingly impactful and and. The emotional aspects there, and I think it's because of the, the the characters you're bringing to this. Sure, you got Ned Beatty, you got Ronnie Cox, you got Darren McGavin. Uh, it was a left turn for me to find out suddenly Darren McGavin's having lunch with Red Skull, and he's like, "Fuck," you know. It's like <laughs> it's like, oh, Darren McGavin's a bad guy, but then that makes sense of why in yeah. the '40s his character played by Bill Mooney was able to get the guy in. So he's he's part of the Axis of Evil or whatever it is, the Deep State or who the hell, whatever they call it, Hydra. Hi, yeah, he's <laughs> part of Hydra. But it's like the problem happens to me is like like. The the like the the action editing is it that's good, but it's just everything to me is played in like almost close up. Yeah, you know stuff is so close that you can't you know you I'm I'm dying for like a long shot like you know there's 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 very few establishing shots in this, but when it is, it's like you know it's either like uh, the the fight sequences that you can't see you know, the, yeah. you know or they're 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 doing the best to try to get around having a fight. You know, <laughs> <laughs> you know I mean so it's like you know. So, like, the aspects, I like the idea of when they find him and he's walking back through Canada and you have Ned Beatty go up there. That's all fun. It's very much like well, X-Men and Wolverine, you know? Yeah, it's, it's you know, there's a couple notes that I kind of made while we were watching it. And part of it is, like, Steve Rogers has the car trick, which is, like, I don't feel good. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he does that's it twice so funny. <laughs> yeah, and it's, like, that's his shtick. And, and then it's he's, like, like and it, so he does it to Ned Beatty, which is, like, total, he, he like, abandons he really, Ned Beatty in Canada. Yeah, and, and he doesn't even have his... <laughs> He doesn't have his wallet on his him or nothing. Passport, and yeah. it's probably all in the truck. But that scene is good because you see when Ned Beatty's trying to talk to him about well, with JFK and history and all that. And I love how they tie it all in. So they when when they have the progression of time, there's references to like you hear like a Walter Cromkite impersonator yeah. talking, and you're trying to show that like you know. And then when they get to like the other of stuff that's going on in time, I like the idea that like all oh, the Hydra somehow been killing JFK, RFK, uh, MLK, and yeah, uh, so all the K's, all the K's. So then when you when you hit, I feel like there is an idea in the car where he's like looking at Made in Japan, and he's feeling like maybe yeah. Ned Beatty could be not who he's saying he is. But it's such a dick movie. Leaves him there. And then uh, do we even ever see Ned Baby again? Yeah, because he comes back, and then remember, because he ends up dying. I didn't realize he died. Oh, he yeah, he ends up. Um, I think they shoot him, and then he and then he then they, they he flat. He, he t- he's like tell the president something. Then he flatlines, and they're like get away. Oh, yeah. And they start giving him freaking uh, CPR on the on the stretcher right in front of him. It's like oh, and then you know Captain America goes to the president like he he told me to tell you like you know something. Yeah, if he, he hands. <laughs> He hands him like a, you know, secret decoder yeah, ring. but yeah, he does. That's it. He hands him the secret decoder ring, which is, I think is another play on Christmas story, you know, the decoder yeah, ring yeah. and all that kind of thing. But even like, you know, and then th- they keep showing the stock cut back to the white house, like the different, you know what I mean? Like, you know, so it's like, uh, and even Ronnie Cox is great as a president. Cause Ronnie Cox says, like, he says he when he the, read the script, it was the best script he ever read. Well, that's the thing is everybody talks about how great Tolkien's script was. Um, and you could see he's acting his ass off. Ronnie Cox is the president. Like, it's very good. But again, it's like there's no... I would love to read the script. Yeah. Because apparently it was like everybody was gung-ho about the movie because the script was so great. Yeah. And and, and it's like I, even like the Red Skull's performance is really good. And I'm, I, you know, I, even though... It's well, a, he's it's a good actor. Yeah. I mean, they're all good actors. I mean, that's definitely the strength of this movie. And, and I think it's a lot... 
uh, you got to give credit where credit's due. And I, and, and I, in interviews, Albert Payun is the director has said like the strength in this movie is the performances in that these were professional people who gave it their all, even when they saw that it was falling apart. Yeah. Like they, they, even though they may have been discouraged by the fact that, you know, uh, Matt Salinger, who played Captain America, says, like, you know, look, notice things were going wrong. Wouldn't it be like we'd run out of this and be like, oh, we'll pick it up when we get to Alaska. And then all suddenly we're not going to Alaska anymore. We'll pick it up when we go when we do the American, when we go back to the States, we shoot there. And then the the States, the shooting in the States ends up just being like two days of pickups. Like, you know, it became very apparent early on when they weren't getting everything they were supposed to get and it was like we'll get it later we'll get it later and then we were never getting it that like this movie was off the rails yeah they just like never they never had a budget like they had estimated a budget for it but Gullen never actually like nailed down the financing so they really were just making the movie and getting some money as it was going. And there were days when they ran out of film yeah. and they had to shut down. And like, basically, you know, Payune says like the biggest problem of this, of the movie is that he never finished it. Yeah. You and, know? and they didn't have the, the, they had the issue of the, the studio not knowing what they wanted of, from the movie and what they wanted to do with the movie and all these budgetary problems. But you have all these actors still acting their asses off like Ned Beatty in the scene where he's like, He's at the, the the newspaper office, which is clearly just like a. It looks like Purchase College. Where he went <laughs> the soundstage where they put him on a desk and have him just, you know, they put some stuff on the wall that says, you know. Yeah, but it, yeah. but it's like they're still like fuck it, they're gonna do it, and it and it's and then even the sequences where you have like the, I love the idea that Red Skull now a daughter is gonna be like this hit girl, gonna go out with the Hydra agents to go, but even there they're not very believable. Like the Hit Squad comes in and no one knows how to hold a gun, you know. <laughs> yeah. They're walk, they're walking around like you know, but but the the scenes with like the dirt bikes in the woods and and like the hearts in the right place or the scene where they're in Italy and like they're they're having the the the, the big one elaborate chasing after the car in, in Italy that's all f- fun and dandy it's just they yeah it's there's so much going for this and that's why I think it saves the movie for like it's, it was so enjoyable to watch it now like I had a good time and the the beats and the script was good but it's just they didn't have the they didn't have they the money. The yeah, they just didn't. They couldn't. They didn't, they didn't. They weren't even. And then it was shelved for two years. Well, even when I, when we did, I remember one of the, my comments when we did the Fantastic Four Roger Corman movie on the show. I talked about like, look, I don't have nostalgia for the Fantastic Four movie. I didn't grow up with it. I didn't grow up watching this movie. But there is something about it, the feel of it, the 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 maybe it's the low budgetness of it, like the way the material is treated, not great. But it harkens back to yeah, <laughs> like my childhood, and so even though like I like I said I saw a part of this movie on and like Saturday afternoon television as as a maybe a, a tween yeah or uh so there there's a that touch of nostalgia like oh yeah I saw like fifteen minutes into this movie at one point there is it has a feeling that is maybe not even maybe it's not a great representation of a, a comic book movie but it's our representation yeah <laughs> you know, it's not good but it's ours yeah. you know like this is how what we grew up with and so in that way like it as flawed as this movie is 
And even as much as like I might start to daydream in the middle of it and start thinking about like, you know, the, sh- the other dead baby movies you liked, another dead baby, or just like the shit I got going on in my life. You yeah, know, like, it's not holding my attention one hundred percent. There's something very uh, comfort foodie about. <laughs> yeah, it's <laughs> about it's like it. y- yeah, you want to revisit it again because it's kind of like you can relate to that world, and it's it certainly has something in it that that. It's a me- like my specific memory of remembering it being on on a weekend was that like we talked about l- last episode with the Goonies is Martin and I were talking to my friend from childhood we're talking about that in the backyard while we were playing like Punisher or whatever yeah. so I I have that memory of us talking about like what the hell is it having to do in Italy and why is Captain America <laughs> Italian while we were in the backyard playing like live action we were playing like yeah, war yeah. or whatever now, so Payun apparently has tried to make a director's cut available well he didn't he shoot a bunch of it but then the the studio then took it and edited the crap out of it too yeah it's another thing it's like what the fuck you know leave him alone but so there are like you can maybe find i feel like you can find snippets of it maybe on youtube and stuff where there are scenes where he goes back uh steve rogers goes to visit uh lieutenant colonel lewis who is played by Michael Nori, who's best known, I think, to our audiences, is that he's in Flashdance. Yeah. He's kind of like the colonel guy in the during the experiment. He goes to visit him in like an old person's home. Oh, that's touching. And uh, it, there's a lot of just like flashback to the scenes that are in the movie. <laughs> yeah. But there's like, he goes to visit him there. And uh, so there's, there's, and there's a lot of like, there's a lot more of trying to flesh out the aspect of, uh, Steve Rogers not knowing what his place is well, now. It's so, it is like you have his, um, the sweetheart he leaves in World War II and goes away. And then he comes back. The first thing he does is he goes, he leaves out of the block of ice, which I think is a great sequence when they find him and thaw him out and all that kind of thing. And he gets, and he, and he fucks Nick Beatty over and he gets the car, he drives. We don't find out how he is able to cross the border because he doesn't have a passport. But he gets the car, he goes to the house, and she's still living in the house, and she's old. It's very touching. She's married somebody else. You yeah, find out like, she waited 15 yeah, years. Yeah, the reason why I didn't leave that. The reason why she didn't move away from that he house was MIA, is because yeah. she was afraid he would come back. And what she ends up doing. But then she said, I was waiting for you, but I was afraid I wouldn't have kids, so I, I only got married at 38, and this guy's a great guy. And then I, I love that it's the same girl yeah. playing her daughter playing the other woman and then I think it's her as as old age you know they have the same actress playing which I think is really good uh, they just and then and they have all that going forward but then like at the end like when you have the climactic fight with Red Skull Red Skull has this freaking thing that he takes out you know and he's like this is gonna blow up not only the area but it's like the southern coast of Europe or the south of Europe and North Africa won't be able to for like a, se- a couple centuries because of the fallout. Then they just shoot him. He falls in the water. That's it. Like it's like <laughs> evidently he risk they make that thing waterproof. They don't like they don't alleviate. Well, isn't that thing gonna blow up once it hits the water? Or there's a couple like it's like there's like things left open. Like he just doesn't he just punch? What like, happened to Darren McGavin? Did he just punch him and that was it? Or you know yeah, it's like there's kind of things that are just left. I do. You know, one of the things that is definitely noticeable is he throws the shield at like the daughter. Yeah. You know, the and then she, and then she get, and he misses her, and then she's like, "It's one of those things where I think like, I think on the way back it hits her or whatever. She gets knocked out. He goes to pick up the shield, and he looks at the camera. It's a little kind of kind of a jokey moment there. I mean, it's those kinds of things with the treatment that I think is you know what we were talking about earlier, where it's just like. Did she get? The, there's one scene where he decapitates. Uh, I, I'm confused if if a woman gets decapitated or not. Or yeah, it's funny. I have a note here where about the car sick joke. I'm like, that's right up Blake's alley. <laughs> <laughs> Did 
to do when he gets sick in the car pulling that thing. And then it's like when they're at the villa, it's like I'm looking at that piano, whatever. It's a Steinway. I was like, I hope they protect that piano from the elements. They put like I know, a cover it's just on. out on the thing. It's beautiful. Know? I mean, that's the, the kind of money. Alone, have. being next, yeah. to, the, <laughs> being next you know? to the water. And then at the end with Red Skull, it's like he doesn't reload the gun. Like these little like I like how they have they're wear, they're using Berettas, which is an Italian gun that serve. And then there's a scene where they're using a Beretta before, like in World War II, when Beretta wasn't invented yet. Uh, but then like the end, he's shooting. It's like just have him freaking reload. But so they they. And then even the silly, campy sentiment with the president as a kid, and I was all digging that. Like, you know, I loved all that. The, you had me sold there. So the movie gets done, and then I guess it, it the, they keep pushing the date back because yeah. they, have a, they have a teaser trailer that's in the theaters. They put posters out. There might be some other small ad campaign, but then that stops, and they have it shelved for two years. Yeah, and it doesn't 1992. Yeah. And that's when it ends up coming out. I think it gets like a, might get like a short, limited theatrical release in Europe yeah but it doesn't hit America until 1992 uh, where it gets like a straight to video direct to video and maybe some cable channels yeah it gets I premiered. would say you know part of to me and you know I certainly don't want to uh, you know put down Barry Goldberg's uh, for doing this score but you know for someone who's like you know kind of dedicated the last four or five years to the, their lives to, to film music I think uh, unfortunately, Barry Goldberg was probably uh, another casualty of the of the lack of money because I feel like even if you had the movie that this movie is, yeah, but with a bigger, more lush score, like Masters of the Universe, for instance, I think that that score is by Bill Conti, yeah, um, with a bigger score, with more resources given to the music, it would have because the sound the 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 sound design is pretty limited. It's just like the movie doesn't feel good, and I think it doesn't sound good, and 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 I think that's like the the unsung hero of movies is is the sound because because it, it really is like you genuinely can't see it. Yeah. So it I think given more uh, resources to the sound design, and then given more resources to the score, I'm sure poor Barry Goldberg is probably dishing out the score in like probably in like 12 days on a kind of synthesizer. Yeah, because it where, sounds very Casio keyboard like, where, like he would, in a, and it's trying to simulate orchestra in a lot of places where like the technology is not there yet. Um, if this movie, you took this exact movie and you filled in the soundtrack with both sound design and music, yeah. this movie would have a way, it would have more credibility. And yeah, did a whole different feel. I, it just, it really just ends up lacking from just that, what you what you need the money for. And it's sad because the script is actually pretty good. Yeah. The, the, and apparently was was even better. Yeah. Ronnie else. Cox is like, you know, saying this is the <laughs> best script he ever read. He's like, what happened? And then you have some solid acting by everybody involved, I'd say. Uh, and even like it's a cool idea. Like I like the, I I like I said before. I like the idea that Red Skull has been. You know, now he's like this big evil. You know, what's he going to be doing for the next fifty years? He's trying to take the world over. So it's like he has this. He's good, but he's sec- underground. Yeah, you know, he's, he's doing yeah, it secretly. It's like kingpinish kind of stuff. So like I like all that stuff. It's just it. It's sad that they just didn't have the the resources to even get any of it off the. I mean, like. Like again, it's just I just I'm longing for like a long shot. Show me. I don't know why they didn't even like any of these fight scenes are just very you know like even the guy with like the Eon Flux kind of hair with the, <laughs> he has that poof hanging over here. It's yeah. like give me some you know. So I mean, I guess the locations don't suffer because the beginning of the movie, the 40s, that kind of I that's believable to me that that's the 1940s or wherever they are. And then you know when they're up in Alaska or Canada, I believe that looks very good. And then yeah. at the end, 
I don't know if they went overseas. That looks like Italy to me. You know, it almost looks like Greece, almost a little bit like yeah. It looks Mediterranean. Some of the, yeah, whether it is or not, I don't know. Yeah, it so it could be Malta. It could be someplace. That, you know, it's certainly they they they're getting those done. They've got a solid performance by all these great character actors, but just everything's either like on a dark sound stage and they're lit, or you know, or it's, it's that, close it's, up. You know, it's unfortunate because it is like, and then if if things are wrong with performance, it's because like they could probably only do like one take and then move. On. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you then, know, like there's, there's not no, even a safety. It's like it's definitely at the back of everybody's thought is like you know like that's the last thing on everybody's mind is like let's get the coverage to make a good performance yeah. out of this. And it's just sad because a lot of it just, you know, uh, if you had a couple more action sequences or some, some other physicality or uh, everything wasn't just on a dark soundstage, like when, you know, when they got, when the little kid's standing in front of the White House and then like, you know, the bomb, it's, that's a weird sequence too where he's able to let the last second tilt the V1 he's rocket. Kicking the he's kicking the He's kicking the fin, uh, the, the, the flap. And he, yeah, and he hits the, and, it, and it, it's just, just misses the White House. And he's, but he sees the little kid and that kid becomes the president, Ronnie Cox, which is all very, and then the beginning of that, it's funny when you first see Ronnie Cox as the adult, you hear his voiceover, but when you see him as president, it's on a video and it's like the interviewers, it's right out of like an outtake of Robocop, you know, because <laughs> it was VHS. I'm thinking like he's going to be like OCP and he's going to be given the, the OCP directives and stuff yeah, like that. Yeah. But at the end, it's just sad that this movie, I agree, I think. It's a movie that, again, like we've said with all these other movies, that it doesn't get its fair shake, because yeah. you know you, we had that with the Fantastic Four. That was actually a good movie, though. That this they laid the special effects or the budget into the things outfit, and that looked really good. Yeah, yeah. You know, but it's like these movies don't get these fair shakes because of time, because of and you also know. just I think um, a lot of audiences just aren't as forgiving. Yeah, or they're not. Yeah, they're not going to want to. Like I, a lot of the reviews I saw here is like. Like uh, people who were even being kind to the review uh, to this movie were saying, you can skip it. The only, you know, uh, this is skippable if you want to check it out because you're a Captain America fan or you want to go and see what it was. Yeah. But I think this is completely recommended. I, mean, I would I recommend think, this like Punisher you know, and Spider-Man. And he, they should, I think Pai Yoon wants, you know, if he wants to try to make his uh, director's cut like more... Uh, uh, available i would recommend i mean it's all from work print stuff so like the quality is not great i would recommend like rescoring this thing in like a nice and really putting a lot of a lot of effort into like the ambient sounds and all that and yeah really if you made if you had a full soundtrack i believe that pe- this would yeah people would be more uh would be easier on this movie. even if they can get if he was able to recut it or put the sequences in he wanted again because this finally in 2011 i guess 2011 is when the first Captain America came out. This finally got a. He was going around the country with a director's cut of this yeah. movie and showing it in select audiences. And then he. This came out on Blu-ray in 2010 or so. Finally got a proper maybe. Yeah, Shout Factory put it out. It's like a collector's edition, but it's pretty bare bones. And I they re- they probably this, remastered it because maybe really a, a, a trailer and but it has interviews with Max uh, with Matt Salinger and and uh, Albert Payune. Yeah, apparently. and it's nice because the copy we watched was very clean as opposed to. The old VHS was was yeah. you know dirty, blurry, and it full still frame. Gets played. I mean, I watched it a couple a year or two ago. It was because it was on like Stars or HBO or something. You know, like it was. It gets it occasionally still gets some play. Yeah, it's just there's there's just it's so a much opportunity. Yeah, and it's just and I and I also even we were guilty of this until we decided to do this movie because I had never seen it all the way through until now. It's just a movie that has been forgotten in the in the realms of time for whatever reason, but. 
if people are so big into the Marvel movies now and they're all gung-ho about the Infinity War and the, you know, the Infinity Gauntlet and all that and all this, what's led up to this, it's like, you should go back because these movies aren't as bad as we think they are. The Punisher <laughs> yeah, yeah. actually kind of holds up. In my ver- view, the Punisher, the Dolph Lundgren movies, as good or maybe even better than the Thomas Jane yeah. and the Ray well, Stevenson. The Punisher movie's definitely, I think, the best of this brand of movie. Yeah. Like it's, I think it's the, of like, of the Fantastic Four Corman movie that we watched of this one. Maybe not as good. I liked the trial, the incredible Hulk. Yeah. That was a television movie. Yeah. Still, that holds up, you know, (laughs) it's, that's got a, that's got a certain like network TV cheese to it though, but it's fun. Uh, but you're right. Out of all these, probably Punishers probably holds up of these level. But it's like it's they most credible. They should know. they should put these in a box set. Like like have a GoFundMe. Like you know maybe do a, a proper remaster if if there isn't you know the, the, if you're not able to. But just have a proper you know it'd be nice to be able to have some sort of because these movies shouldn't be relegated to like the back closets or you know the back shelves or something. They they, they should be. There's, there's nothing to be ashamed of with these movies because of the context of how they came out in the time and yeah. what was happening, that th- that they did the best they could. And the, that it is sad that this didn't get the shake it, the fair shake it needed because of the studio trying to fuck them, Marvel trying to fuck them, and you know the, them not having money. But the product they came out with, it's not it's not like trauma, you know. Like where, <laughs> I mean, not to knock trauma, but it's yeah, not like yeah. they were doing something that's terribly cheesy on purpose. Yeah, you yeah. know, he was doing the best he could here. I mean, you have a protege of Kurosawa. I mean, it certainly didn't live up to the potential that I think everybody thought it had, and it didn't reach the the quality that everybody wanted it to be, including audiences. But that doesn't mean that's not worthwhile. Yeah, and it's just it's certainly if you're a fan of these movies, the Marvel movies that are coming out next week, the Infinity War. This is definitely something you should check out. It's yeah. great. You know, uh, I mean, you know, who is he better than Chris Evans? That's that's. <laughs> That's for the viewer to decide, but you know, to, to just think that it's J.D. Salinger's kid, you know, yeah. who wrote Catcher in a Rye doing this. That's that's I mean, in, that's incredible. Look, it's rough around the edges, but yeah, t- but totally enjoyable. And I also, think. if this is part of the the Marvel canon, that means you got Darren McGavin and Ned Beatty in a Marvel movie together. You have you know, uh, you have the team up of Ned Beatty and Ronnie Cox that haven't teamed up since Deliverance. It's <laughs> true. You, it's a re- you, Deliverance reunion. You got Melinda Dillon and uh, uh, Darren McGavin from Christmas Story, and I'm sure there's another. You know, we can do another correlation there of people like that. So there's 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 some history in the movie too. It's interesting. Some history. Some some history. <laughs> so um, that's all we got today. I know at the beginning we we were a little long winded about our memories and stuff, but you know that's what happens. Yeah, and this is a this is a great little movie to go revisit, uh, especially with the new stuff coming out. Uh, check us out on Facebook check us out on Twitter check us out on Instagram now check out our regular site because we put a lot of extras on our homepage of stuff like that uh, Blake you've got your podcast Squirt Death the podcast available everywhere including iTunes and Spotify and yeah. SoundCloud and YouTube and uh, that's off your book that you did do if you're interested in film music it's a it's a worthwhile podcast I'm, I hope anyway <laughs> <laughs> you at least believe so. Uh, yes, it's it's very good. And uh, I think that this was a good time today. And we'll be back in two weeks. And uh, I forget what we're doing in two weeks. I don't remember either. You know, we could be getting into the erotica. <laughs> we <laughs> might be. If I remember correctly. You know, another a very big part of this that, that Blake's always hammering home to me is that along with Saturday night sleepovers, especially for boys, there was always the chance to be able to rent things that had nudity in it. Yeah, it was a big. It was a big deal. You as know, a, USA as a, as a young 
a young teen, <laughs> you know, teen male trying to, yeah, I'm sure with females too, for some of the same reasons, but like staying up watching USA up all night or whatever, there was, there was a chance to maybe see something. And if it's not next week, it's, it's, it's in the future. yeah, we're, we're, that's, we're, that's, we've a, been discussing. That's the hardest tease we've ever done <laughs> of something. Not hard in the sense of that it's hard to come up with, but that's like the biggest, we might Most be getting into some of the, yeah, some of the, some, some, um, some nostalgic erotica to, to, to cover that end of the podcast, but we got a good summer coming up. Blake and I finally sat down. Let's just put it this way. There might be some wieners featured. Movies <laughs> 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 Yeah, exactly. Yeah, we're, we, we, we like to please everybody, guys and girls. So, but we got a good, we got, I think we got a good solid lineup this year. Uh, we planned some stuff out, so uh, it'll be fun and, uh, you know, um, it'll be very exciting. We hope you like this. And uh, we'll, we'll be back in a couple weeks. Same bat time, same Captain America channel. And uh, we'll see you then. Later. Later.